your trusted source for news and analysis about Chicago White Sox prospects and player development, covering the Major League Baseball draft and international market, plus the action in Kannapolis, Winston-Salem, Birmingham, and Charlotte. This is the Future Sox Podcast with your hosts, Mike Rankin and James Fox. Hello and welcome to the Future Sox live stream of the Major League Baseball 2023 draft. This is quite the honor. My name is Mike Rankin. I'm your host, James Fox. Alongside us, if you're on YouTube, you can see our lovely faces. If you're on Twitter, (laughs) you're also allowed to watch us uh, and and experience it together. That's the whole point. We're watching the draft. It's starting in about five minutes. The coverage is going to be insane. I can't wait to see uh, what the White Sox do at pick 15. Uh, James, welcome. We're doing this because... Josh got married. He's celebrating his marriage and Jim's hanging out at home. He's back in Nashville after coming to town, celebrating with Josh. It's on us. And we really do appreciate the opportunity to talk to you, the fans. And uh, we're looking forward to it, James, because on the Future Sox podcast, we have been hounding guests to get the best insight that we can about this year's class. And of course, you're doing your mock drafts with Josh. We, we just released our last one. If you want to check it out on Twitter at Future Socks, you can read it real quick before the draft does start. But your previews, your, your player uh, analysis ahead of the draft, it's been outstanding. And tonight it all culminates to what we've been waiting for. So welcome in. And James, uh, look, this is something that we've been prepping for for the last few months, the White Sox pick at 15. There's some information that we have. What are your feelings going into tonight? Are you excited? How are you feeling? Yeah, so I think, I mean, I'm more excited, you know, than I was like the other day when we talked just because of like more intel and kind of stuff that I've heard today and people I've talked to today just kind of think, you know, like I wrote the article about Mike Shirley when he met with the media Friday. There were a lot of like important bullet points, I think in there, just in regards to like, you know, them attacking pitching and him loving high school guys, which obviously you and, you know, people that end up listening, um, like kind of know, like, I like that too, like high school guys. So I I think that's more of an option tonight than I was originally thinking. I was kind of thinking, you know, it would be college and then they'd do prep later. But I I think there's a uh, chance that it's a prep guy tonight, but we've talked about picking at 15 you know, you might just have to take the guy that falls to you. So that's that's what makes it pretty interesting. We have so many guests on tap. We're going to talk to Craig Toth of Bucks in the Basement. We're going to recap what the Pirates do at one, because if you're paying attention to the mock draft, it's not super conventional. I mean, that's typical for the Pirates, but um, we'll get to more details about pick one. Uh, we also have Rogelio Castillo, our guy who covers the Tigers, um, TigersMLReport.com. He'll be joining us after pick three, Jeremy Nygaard, who is assisting our guy Seth Stowes at Twins Daily. Um, He covers, you know, the farm system for the Twins. So we have three guests there, as well as Sean Sears, our guy from 670 to the score, who's a Cubs guy. Uh, The Cubs pick at 13, the White Sox pick at 15. We're going to be reacting live to everything and what it means for the White Sox leading up to pick 15. James, you talked about the significance of prep players and how – that may affect the White Sox decision at 15. Now, I want to so – I got some notes here. I want to go over some things, okay, because Mike Shirley talked prior 
to the start of the draft this weekend. And anytime Mike Shirley talks, uh, there's, there's so much value in what he has to say because we sort of started building up um, just sort of um, we're, we're trying to figure him out. I should say we're trying to figure out Mike Shirley after he took over leading the draft in 2020. This is his fourth draft as the director of amateur scouting for the Chicago White Sox. And there's been a pattern not only in the first round, but across successive rounds, because when you see the White Sox commit to prep arms or prep shortstops or prep outfielders, it's uh, okay. This is great for me. It's, it's a great thing in my opinion, because I love watching prep players develop and there's a lot of upside there. And if you're thinking about competing, say you want to move some talent, in your farm system to acquire talent, prep players are typically the currency of the game that uh, really does get the conversation moving forward. So in regards to what Mike Shirley had to say, there was something that really popped to me. He said, James, and I know you were on the call. He goes, he loves high school players, right? If you want to be great in the draft today, you need to be great with high school players. We will continue on that road. Noah Schultz, Colson Montgomery, Montgomery, a little bit older, still a prep guy. You mentioned, James, that at 15, there could be a prep available at 15. Not only in the first round, we're speaking specifically about Mike Shirley's love for the prep, but in subsequent rounds as well, like we talked about. And that really did start in 2019 with Shirley aiding that process then and then officially taking over in 2020. So some massive notes regarding Mike Shirley and, and a little bit more into his philosophy, James. Um, that was a takeaway for me. What were some of the takeaways that uh, you took, obviously had from Mike Shirley's conference call? Well, you know, I kind of like, you know, I think he mentioned that college hitters are the strength of the class, right? But then I feel like, you know, I'm going through all the comments that I had and I'm trying to write something and I'm like, you know, like he mentioned it, but then everything's about high school players. <laughs> like, you know, and I don't know if like the questions took him that way or whatever, but you can tell that he means it. I don't know how many people know this, but I mean, Mike Shirley is a hitting coach in Indiana. Um, you know, Max Clark is one of the guys that he's worked with. He's just, you know, he, he works with youth players. He has forever. And, you know, I, I coach high school football. I think people know that. Like I, so like I get it right. I've always kind of said, I've, I'd prefer the prep guys, you know, strictly just because of the age. We've talked about it a lot on this podcast. Like the 18 year old that struggles, like, you know, might figure it out 20, 21 years old. We've seen the 21, 22 year old struggle. It's not a guarantee that a college guy comes in and they're quick to the majors right away. High schoolers are quicker to the majors than ever. I think that's my biggest takeaway every time Shirley talks is he kind of points that out. You know, these kids are playing in tournaments like as teenagers against advanced competition, high schoolers are quicker to the majors than ever. They're more ready than ever. Um, so that's where, you know, I just, I just think it's so interesting. And then, you know, the arms race thing he mentioned again, he's big on starters, you know, it, it's figuring out what guys can start for you, what traits you're good at, you know, like dealing with in your minor leagues, there's certain guys who, you know, they probably won't take. We've talked some about Hurston Waldrop and he's, you know, very splitter heavy. That, that would surprise me if the White Sox took a guy like that based on, you know, what I think they're looking for. So, you know, and then, you know, just, I've, I thought some of the stuff was interesting where he talked about players already in the system. We can talk about that later. That's not really for tonight, but just like why they took Schultz and like the opportunity 
that they had, right? He kind of looked back on a bullpen session where he first saw Crochet, kind of felt like he was like a diamond in the rough a little bit. Montgomery was from small town Indiana and, you know, didn't really pop till late. And then Noah Schultz. Noah Schultz threw 19 innings in the college league last year, 37 Ks. You know, we talked about area scout JJ Lally sitting on him basically. Teams from other states weren't doing that last July, you know, when a lot of people were assuming that he was just going to be off to Vanderbilt and the White Sox, you know, got themselves a pretty good find at 26 overall. So we'll see. Maybe it maybe it's something similar this year where there's some guy that's considered a diamond in the rough that they get at 15 and he'll talk tonight and tell us about it. There's so much that we have to talk about today. Uh, there's, there's, like I said, we have guests, we have a Pirates guy, Tigers guy. Welcome everybody into the chat. Thank you guys for tuning into this uh, live stream. Future Sox, on behalf of Sox Machine, we appreciate you all. A um, couple more things I want to get to. Yeah, James, you said arms race is critical. Um, you know, Shirley echoed that sentiment. And guys, those listening, I want to kind of paint a picture of the philosophy behind Mike Shirley um, because there's got to be a reason why the White Sox are doing what they're doing in the draft, right? And it's so important if you're paying attention to the Sox machine and Future Sox podcast, you understand where the farm system is currently. And we're hoping that another draft this season with the talent infused combined with 2022, and you're seeing some of the progress of the prospects from 2021 and 2020, you're hoping that this farm system can climb itself out of the bottom 10 and then really give us hope that the White Sox will develop internal options for the big league club sooner rather than later. And in terms of evaluating and in selecting the player, Shirley cited makeup, performance, metrics, scouting evaluations, and gut feel. Also talked about the arms race. College position players, uh, he looks at makeup and power. So take that how you how you will. But I think this was cool. He said he's they go out of their way to look for winners. Um, you know, they they care about clubhouse culture. They care about how they respond to failure. Uh, risk of high end players, you can't undervalue the the, the high end players with a low clubhouse culture uh, in their minds is not worth it versus somebody with maybe a lower ceiling and a higher floor, but who really does care about the day in and day out work ethic and what he provides to the ball club and understanding his role. So I thought that was pretty telling. Um, And this is also something good. Shirley cited that you never draft based on the big league need. He really made it clear that the big league club and the minor league operation are separate. So you're talking about the value in what James was alluding to earlier in a prep player at 15, the white Sox need immediate help, but you're not going to get it out of a prep player at 15. The white Sox are looking for the longevity. So there's a little bit of Shirley. I wanted to talk briefly about that. A lot more to get to the draft is underway. We're, keep, we're keeping an eye on the live draft tracker. If you're watching on ESPN or MLB tonight or whatever it is, MLB network, um, be here with us and, and we'll give you all the insight. Now I'd like to like to introduce a friend of ours, somebody who we brought on to the future Sox team this year. And if you're familiar following the future Sox brand and subscribe to the future Sox podcast, which I don't know why you're not, but if you're not do it right now, you'll know that Elijah Evans and I do a weekly podcast called the Future Sox Roundup, and we recap affiliated performances, and we get help from the affiliates with highlights, so it's a unique little feel. If you haven't heard it, listen to the last one. Our guy Jeff Cohen, at AAA Jeff on Twitter, 
Um, he covers the Charlotte Knights, but he's been traveling all over the affiliates in Winston-Salem and in Kannapolis as well, getting one-of-a-kind exclusive insight um, from the guys that we cover all year long. So without further ado, let's introduce Elijah Evans, our guy. He's a part, of, like I said, of the Future Sox Roundup and uh, a part of JustBaseball.com. Welcome, Elijah. Are you excited about the draft and where the White Sox selected 15 tonight? How's it going, everybody? Thanks for welcoming me, Mike. I appreciate the welcome. Uh, I'm really excited. This is going to be a fun draft. You know, there's a lot of things to look forward to. Um, I think there's the White Sox are in an interesting position. You know, 15, as we've as you guys mentioned, it's a tough spot. I think it is really dependent on the way things go before us. And there's a lot of things that could change the way that the White Sox use this pick. Um, but ultimately, I'm I'm pumped and I'm really excited for for this night. And I think we're going to have a good night. Yeah, I'm excited, and I want to bring James into this conversation as well, Elijah, because uh, I'm looking at the slot values of the first pick and, and you know, the first five picks, and it, it does matter because apparently the Pittsburgh Pirates, for as, as long as we've been covering it, what is it, Dylan Cruz, who was projected to go number one, isn't necessarily projected to go there. He's looking for what, uh, a million-dollar signing bonus above the first-round pick allotted slot, which is close to $10 million. And I don't think the Pirates are looking to do that, James. Can you fill us in on exactly what the Pirates may be uh, looking to do here at pick one? Yeah, so, I mean, it's like the first year ever where it's just like the number one bonus slot's $9.7 million, which is, what is it, Elijah? 1.3 more than the record. I think that the Tigers gave Spencer Torkelson 8.4. Yeah, so, I want to say I think there's 8.4, 8.5, exactly. Yeah, so I mean, like, if, I mean, if you're really asking for that much at one, it's not going to happen. But it's also the the Pirates who have multiple picks. You know, I think that could be where they're leaning here. I don't know if it's out there yet, but you know, if it is Wyatt Lankford, it might be eight and a half million dollars, which would be the record. But it would also save you 1.3 to spend later. And look, I mean, Dylan Cruz falls a little bit tonight to Detroit, possibly. He could still get eight and a half million dollars, which is still the record. It's just nobody's getting that nine point seven, which is a pretty astronomical number. I mean, you know, I I don't begrudge any of them if they if they got the nine point seven. I wanted to make as much money as possible. I just think when you're trying to fill out twenty rounds and teams like the Pirates with actually twenty one picks, comes in handy to have that extra money later on. I think that's kind of the the way they'll they'll go here. But Cruz could still get paid by somebody pretty early. I'm just looking uh, as you were describing that I was thinking back to last year's draft show with uh, Josh Nelson and yourself, James, and thinking about how we're going to cover this draft today. Pick 15 is a lot different than pick 26 and thinking about pick 26 and Noah Schultz last year, I, you described it in the open. The fact that Mike Shirley was so in person and on that selection is unique in and of itself, but that's the reason why I feel like the White Sox selected him. I think it was, um, they went out of their way to make it, they, they had a concerted effort to scout this player. And I don't know how the rest of the league was scouting Noah Schultz. Now at, at pick 15, I think it changes a little bit of, about the way we're following this slot because, um, the White Sox are owed four point right. They're they're allotted four point four nine million dollars, and there was the question: if you're selecting a prep player at fifteen or even at twenty six, it's almost a guarantee that they're going to sign. So, if the White Sox are able to get a prep at fifteen, save some money for the subsequent rounds, 
what do you project to happen considering the love for prep players? I think you had some information earlier, James, about potential and oh, Elijah, you got something. I hate to interrupt you. Um, I'm hearing some things on Twitter. I don't know who's watching right now, but it seems like it is going to be Paul Skeens tonight with number one pick, which is a huge surprise considering we were kind of expecting Langford at this point or even Cruz still potentially. So let's stick right there. Paul Skeens is probably the best pitcher that I've ever seen uh, in college. Uh, what's the re- immediate reaction there, Elijah? You got it. It's pretty crazy. I mean, I it, it's just seeing a pitcher go one is something that you don't expect, and I don't know if I – I don't know. I mean, he's a great pitcher. I, you can't deny it. You look at him pitch in for LSU, and it's it's unbelievable. So I think pure talent-wise, he's he's an incredible pitcher. And I think Pittsburgh probably got a deal on him that they weren't getting on, on Cruz, and they decided ultimately that he has a higher upside um, than they believe Langford have. So that kind of throws a wrench into the Nationals' plans, if that's true. We don't want to get too ahead of ourselves. But if it is Paul Skeens, well, damn. Good for him and good for the Pirates. I mean, that's big time, in my opinion, because I'm a fan of pitching. What do you, what's your reaction there, James? Yeah, so, I mean, I think it's a little bit surprising. I think we've talked about, I just kind of, you know, was assuming Ben Charrington was going to take a bat just because it's like his history. But, I mean, we've talked about uh, talked about it on the podcast leading up to this. The Pirates think they can be good pretty soon. You're just, like, never going to be able to get a pitcher like this unless you take him here. They're not spending $30 million for one on the open market. They're not trading a bunch of prospects to get one and then paying him. So, I mean, look, he could, I mean, Paul Skeens could be in their rotation next year. And like Elijah says, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure they're getting some sort of a deal here, whether it's 9 million or what. Um, yeah. I'm but, thinking it's going to be a little under this was, this was Robert Murray. He just reported was the first one to be on the I know. Reporting. I saw that. My um, guy, Robert was Skeens, a, potentially. My guy, Robert yeah. Murray was the first one to have it. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. He's awesome. That's, that's really cool for Robert. Um, he's, I've been following his stuff. He's great. Um, but you know, I think it's, I, I'm guessing they got a little bit under slot, right? I don't think it's a ton under slot. That's the thing, you know, Skeens was definitely expected to go two at the very latest. So even a little bit under slot is not going to be a huge, underslot deal but i'm curious to see when it comes out what they got him for because i do believe um it probably is a few million a few maybe a few hundred thousand under um, under what they were expecting to give and it's official it is on yep. the uh major league baseball draft tracker paul Skeens, number one overall in 2023 and it, those who haven't watched paul Skeens pitch just watch a montage and you'll understand it's that it's just the question of you're selecting a pitcher over a, a position player who will likely provide positive war for you across 162 game season. And it's an everyday, you know, middle of the lineup bat that you're passing on, but you just picked up an ACE that you don't have to pay for outside in, yep. in free agency. So, I mean, that is huge. That is huge. And it's, I mean, I love, it's, I, I, I just love the size, the size and the strength. It's outstanding. Yeah, it's exciting for a team like the Pirates too because you look at that roster and you know they've they've fallen off a bit as of late, but they've shown some life this year of a really good young core of players um, and an organization that's heading in the right direction generally. And it uh it might be you know it, it is risky. Pitching comes with more risk than a Dylan Cruz or a Wyatt Langford would have. Um, but I think it's ultimately a fun pick for them, and I think he's a guy that we could see in the MLB next year. I mean, he's that good. I, many people have been on record saying, you know, he could pitch today. I think they're going to be a little cautious, given how much he threw with LSU this year. Um, but I think, you know, sooner than later, he's going to be in that rotation in Pittsburgh. So it looks like uh, Joe Doyle has some information out here on Twitter. The Pittsburgh Pirates select Paul Skeens. Sources say 
Deal is in the neighborhood of $9.25 million. The approximate slot value, according to MajorLeagueBaseball.com, was $9.72 million. So the Pirates get their guy, and that's that sounds about right, James. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's definitely the biggest bonus ever in this, um, you know, just, I guess, under this system. Now we'll see what, what Cruz gets if he goes two to Washington because, you know, this, this is basically where Cruz wanted to go, but I think he, you know, you're not playing with fire, right? Because he, he could have ended up in Detroit if if number one went a different way. So I think he was going either two or three. The talk has kind of been that Washington was his preference. So we'll see here. My guess is he's getting close to, you know, he'll probably get over nine as well, I would imagine. So Paul Skeen's uh, interesting. Late in the season was pumping 101. If, if you watched him pitch uh, in the SEC this year, he totaled a 169 ERA in 19 starts, 122 and two thirds innings. In those 122 and two thirds innings, he allowed 72 hits, allowed 23 earned, walked just 20, and this is it, struck out 209 in 122 innings in uh, in 2023. So uh, we talked about Paul Skeens. He's 21 years old, looking at his baseball reference page right now. And I wonder what the plan is for Pittsburgh this year, maybe if he does pitch in Arizona briefly or wherever their, their, their rookie affiliate is, and then shut him down because pitcher's arm's a little different. Uh, if you put him on a shelf and then get him in a professional program, allow him to rest for you know, throughout the offseason and get him in professional shape. It's not out of the question that Paul Skeens debuts next year, midseason for the Pirates. And the way they started in 2023 and some of the momentum they're building, look out for the Pirates in the NL Central. Same with the Reds. The Reds came up this year and are, are doing really well. And we're hoping to be joined soon by Craig Toth of Bucks in the Basement. I know he's busy right now, but he is uh, the Pirates expert that we want to get more insight on the pick and the future of the organization. So on the clock now is Washington. Um, things like we talked about through kind of a wrench into the plan of the nationals, because it, it seemed according to several mocks that Wyatt Langford or Dylan Cruz would be pick number one. And especially lately it was uh Wyatt Langford, right? James, if uh, correct me if I'm wrong there, I think the, the, the favorite coming into tonight was Langford. Yeah. It seemed like Langford. I mean, look, I think everybody kind of left open the possibility that they would take skeins. Um, but I think, I think it was just not Cruz is basically what, yeah. what people kind of thought. And Langford, you know, I think people kind of <clears throat> were under the impression that Langford would be like 8.5 million ish anyway. Um, so yeah, like maybe you do take the ace when you're what talking about 750 K, right? So yeah, this is the direction they decided to go. I bet pirates fans are excited because like <laughs> I would be said, like they're look, they're not terribly far away from competing in a, in a national league central that's wide open and he could pitch for them next year. So I think this exactly. makes a lot of sense. Obviously I think Tuesday you'll look at the totality of the pirates class and judge it then, but it's a pretty good start with, Paul Skeens at the top. I think it's it's interesting to see, but I think it's a good middle ground, like you're saying. I mean, I think you you're you're not going with the full money of Cruz. You're saving some money. They probably have some guys they're targeting in the second through fifth round specifically, um, and then you're also you know you're still getting an unbelievable player, right? So it's it's a good deal, I think. All right, All we right. got more news. We got more news, James. You want to read the second pick? Yeah. So the Washington Nationals, no surprise here, will take uh, LSU star outfielder Dylan Cruz. Um, you know, we've talked a lot about representation and, you know, some people don't like to cause it's agent advisor, whatever, but Dylan Cruz, Scott Boris, Washington nationals, not a, not 
terribly surprising to me. This makes Dylan, sense. Go ahead, Elijah. Yeah. No, I was going to say this makes perfect sense. You really can't pass up on Cruz here. I think they were expecting to go skeins here, um, but it's uh, it's unbelievable. I mean, Dylan Cruz is one of the best college bats we've seen in a long, long time. So this makes perfect sense. Uh, I'm I'm sure I'm curious to see the money value on this because they right. definitely had to go over slot for it. Um, but I'm I mean I know they they are not going to regret it. I think Washington was comfortable going over slot if they needed to. Uh, <laughs> here's his numbers this year. Okay. 426 batting average. Do you not care about batting average? Cause I kind of do a little bit. Uh, 426 is insane. His OPS, Dylan Cruz, 1280. It's a 1280 OPS. He walked 71 times and, wa- and struck out just 46 um, and hit 18 homers across 71 games in the SEC playing for uh, LSU. So a couple of LSU kids going one and two. This draft is underway. I want to know what the money is looking like. Um, we are on now to the Tigers pick at three. And like we said, we're going to work guests in and uh, those listening, just bear with us. We're going to talk to a Pirates guy. We're talking to a Tigers guy and a Twins guy and a Cubs guy. So just hang out with us. We're talking White Sox primarily, but also reacting to all the picks coming in. Hey, shout out to everybody in the chat. We're on YouTube, on the Sox Machine YouTube page. Uh, If you have a YouTube account, you can chat with us and hang out. If you're on Twitter, appreciate you checking in and and clicking on us. Uh, Once it gets closer to the draft, uh, or I should say the the White Sox pick at 15, I'm really looking forward to some of the reaction of everybody. But if you have questions, throw it our way. We'll uh, we'll react to it like we've been doing and and talk a little bit of White Sox baseball as well. So we're on to the uh, Detroit Tigers now. Uh, those who do follow Chicago Cubs baseball, Paul Skeens in the division. I mean, that's got to be awesome to watch, but also, you know, obviously not against your own team if you're a fan. But I look, I think that's really cool. Um, and, and again, with the Tigers and the way that the draft lottery played out, you see the way that the Twins jumped a bunch of spots. So we're keeping an eye on that. The Twins pick fifth. Right now it's the Tigers. We just see one and two go down. Uh, and without further ado, we want to introduce our Pirates expert who joins us on the Sox Machine Future Sox live stream. I mean, this is awesome. I, I, I'm i pumped for you, the Pirates fan, because Paul Skeens is the truth. Craig Toth at Bucks Basement on Twitter. Welcome into the live stream. Thanks so much for taking the time and, and being with us tonight. What's your reaction? Paul Skeens going number one. Dude, I, I'm actually, I can't even believe it at this point in time with all the, the smoke that was coming around. I saw, you know, possibly a a Max Clark, a a Walter Jenkins. They threw a lot of that stuff out there. I mean, I've kind of been skeins. I don't know. We, I was on um, another podcast. It was called Pirates Fan Forum with uh, one of my good friends, uh, Gary Morgan, and I had listened to, uh, Someone it was from Locked On, you know, LSU had who had been following uh you know these players. And so we were talking about, you know, what's the difference skeins, what's the difference in crews, and even she said that just you know by a razor's edge that it would be Paul Skeens. There's no way the pirates could ever go out and get a player of this caliber on the open market. I mean, that's pretty much what this comes down to. Um, I'm not saying that they're going to go out and pay for a, you know, a 20 or 30 home run hitter either, but 
But I feel like those maybe it sometimes are easier to develop within the system. They can, you know, kind of show out in the later rounds or, you know, some guys you pick, you know, later on, but a guy of his caliber sitting there one, one, I mean, I don't know how you don't do it. And the the reason that uh, it kind of switched for me at one point in time is I was watching the MLB network and they were talking about how Paul Skeens was a, you know, two-way player at air force did not have, you know, a ton of miles on the arm, wasn't a travel ball player. Um, so yeah, he did pitch, you know, a lot this year, but I mean, I've also heard just the frame. I mean, his size, just, I mean, look at him. I mean, he is built like a tank. So I'm not saying his arm, I mean, that's always a risk with pitchers. Um, but it's not like the type of player that in time where, you know, you don't know how much he pitched, you know, in high school for his travel ball team, how much, you know, he was, he had put on, you know, in his first two seasons in college. No, I mean, he, he pitched minimal innings over the past two years. So this is the first time a guy that's pumping, you know, up to 98 consistently over a hundred, the slider is ridiculous. And people always say, you know, what's his third pitch? Well, his changeup didn't look too bad um, either when I saw it, you know, watching him in some games. So, I mean, to me, this is just, it's something that <laughs> I, like I said, I was almost preparing myself for it being somebody else. I had myself as Skeens one, Langford two, Cruz three, Clark four. And if it was any of those four, I could talk myself into the reasoning behind any of them. Um, but I really, it was the top three for me. Um, hopefully within the state we are within this rebuild. I mean, I don't know how you could wait around. I, I, I mean, everybody said, you know, Jackson holiday just got promoted to, to double a at this point in time. So there are players that can move extremely fast, but I mean, that's the exception, not the rule. So are you going to wait five years for a guy? I mean, these, these are guys that could be up here towards the end of next year. Any of those three guys, I thought, and definitely, um, in 2025 contributing. Well, it looks like James, we got the third pick. Uh, yeah, that's wanna, a, that's a, yeah, that's a surprise. The Tigers taking Max Clark at three. Wow. Like I just, you know, with the history of their new president of baseball ops, just with the Cubs and with the giants where he was, I thought for sure they'd go college, but I mean, Max Clark's a stud, and now I have to yep. root against him, unfortunately. So. <laughs> well, I, yeah. Massive fan of Max Clark uh, coming into the draft. I mean, potential to go 1-1 one, one, uh, to start this process once he was um, first instituted in the whole cycle. But, I mean, that I, I caught off guard there. Uh, we're going to get more information uh, about the Detroit Tigers pick, but we have Craig Toth here from Bucks in the Basement. James, you got um, more for Craig? Yeah, so just, did, I don't know if you saw, 9.25 million's been reported by Joe Doyle and some others for Skeens. I think that saves the Pirates about 500K. Does that change your mindset at all for later tonight in the next couple of days? I thought they'd save a little bit more, but I mean, you know, you get the best pitcher in the class. I, I think they can still do enough damage. Yeah. And I, I had seen, um, I actually had Joe Doyle on, on my minor league news and brews, the, uh, the pirates thing. J Joe's an awesome guy. I oh. shout out to Joe. Um, yeah, he was saying that there was some, like, I guess there was rumblings or whispers, um, just a couple weeks ago that they were thinking about skeins at around nine. Um, so the 9.2 that, that any, any bit of savings that you could move, uh, back there to get a player of his caliber when you have, like, if you say hit, you know, him and Cruz, 
uh, the one a one B saving that 500. If you can, you know, they have the biggest, you know, pool imaginable. So that really doesn't change as much for me. Um, if, if you would have had, I, I think I had said, if you would have had, you know, Skeens and Cruz both asking for 9.7 and you could get Langford for nine. I mean, I would, I, I would take the savings. I honestly would. So, I mean, I think that in this instance, they got the savings that they wanted. I think Ben Sherrington did want to go a little bit under slot. That had been mentioned as possibly a holdup um, for Cruz uh, just because, you know, Cruz was asking for either full slot or, you know, possibly even a little bit over. Um, but you get, you pretty much had like, you know, t- the two best hitters in Cruz and Langford, and you had the best pitcher in, I mean, it's been reported by a lot of people. I, I don't like to do comps like too, too much, but I mean, a, a very talented pitcher um, that could move quickly throughout your system and you get him for, you know, on a savings. I mean, that's pretty huge, even though he is getting, you know, <laughs> he's getting like the biggest bonus for a one, one, you know, in MLB right. history. So I, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that's, a, that's, I mean, 9.2. I, I couldn't ask. I was thinking maybe nine at the lowest, but I had seen, you know, 9.2 reported. Um, I think as early as this morning, they were talking about uh, a 500 K savings on, uh, Skeens and a million dollar savings on uh, Langford. So, I mean, it was kind of, I was not surprised. I, like I said, I'm just, I'm just surprised that we have him, you know, in a Pirates uniform. I mean, it, to me, uh, it, you have to get to the playoffs. I mean, obviously, but once you get to the playoffs, if you have, I mean, at this point in time, I, I mean, I hate to jump ahead, but my, my thing is you got to like lock up Mitch Keller or something. Cause he's the only other guaranteed pitcher you know, on your staff and you only have him through 2025. So um, I'd be looking towards that as well. But yeah, if you have like two front end starters um, going into, especially now that the wild card series is three games and stuff like that. I mean, you're set up for a deep run. I mean, we've seen many teams, you know, do that before where they just, you know, roll their way through the playoffs, pitching their two best pitchers on four days rest. So, I mean, that gives the pirates that opportunity. Um and I feel like, I mean, this is one of the the deeper drafts that you're going to see. I always talk about on the show, uh, myself and Chris, like, can we ever not, you know, talk about the pandemic? Um, but this, because of guys that, you know, probably maybe would have been drafted when they had that, you know, quick little five-round draft, um, people that chose to go, you know, to, to college. I mean, Dylan Cruz is one of those guys. Dylan Cruz was a first round, you know, caliber talent back, back in, in that draft class. So um, I think that this is probably going to be one of those deeper drafts. So if there's places where you could, you know, make up for this, I, I think that you could probably get some pretty decent hitters. The only thing that surprised me is I think James, when me and you were talking last night, I said, maybe Langford's so they could pull down one of the high school arms. Uh, now at this point in time, I, I think that, you know, I don't know if that plan changes. Um, I've seen now that maybe uh, looking for, you know, a college hitter in round two, and then also a possibly using the savings uh, from that and from this to maybe pull uh, a high school player into, you know, their comp pick, which I believe they have at 67. Um, but I mean, this is a great pick. 
I mean, there's still so much more of the draft to go. So to me, it's like now you have to start, you know, just bulking up on as much depth as you possibly can from within your system. And that's kind of been Ben Charrington's, you know, MO this entire time. We just didn't really go, you know, this heavy um, in the beginning, but we also didn't have the opportunity to go this heavy either. I mean, when we drafted Henry Davis 1-1, it's not like the the top five of, you know, that class looked like this. I mean, not that they weren't good players, but I mean, you're looking at like five possible, like, elite players um i think they were choosing from and whoever's whoever's picking these five guys i mean of course i mean we're gonna be tracking everybody is gonna be tracking their progress you know until hopefully you know god willing they all make it to the majors craig uh thank you for stopping by uh, i want to run this real quick uh by uh, brian sikowski he's a friend of the show of uh, perfect game Wrote a little brief on Twitter about Paul Skeens. He says, best college pitching prospects since Cole or Strasburg. Shouldn't be long until he's up. Dominating fastball-slider combo that are both sevens or better. I think the changeup will be a plus as well. First real ace upside guy in a while. So congratulations on the pick as a Pirates fan. Thanks so much for stopping by. Uh, We're going to be following along alongside you. All right. Thanks a lot for having me on guys. And I hopefully, hopefully the White Sox get whoever, whoever you're looking for. My wife's a White Sox fan. So I have to give, you know, that shout out to her. So uh, I do have definitely pulling for the Sox as well, but thanks for having me on guys. I really appreciate it. That's Craig Toth of Bucks in the basement. Follow him on Twitter at Bucks basement. James, we have another pick. Uh, we do. Yeah. We, so yeah. Before do you... we get to that pick here real quick, James, um, this is what we're talking about. We have a Pirates guest coming up. Elijah's hanging out with us. You and I are going to be alongside all the uh, the first round, most likely throughout the first round. Uh, Other guests coming up. But thank you to Craig. That was a really, really insightful um, interview. Real quick for him to pop in. I know he's busy. James, we got the fourth pick, the Texas Rangers. What do we got? Yeah, so, I mean, this is – a pretty obvious one after what we saw happen. It was Wyatt Langford of Florida goes to Texas. You know, we've talked about Texas a little bit. They don't have second or third round picks this year. So, you know, they kind of thought like a prep guy there might have been tough just, you know, with some of the leverage there. But Rangers bonus slot is just under $7.7 um, million at that pick. But they have a they have a really small bonus pull overall at only $9.9 million. So, you know, my, my guess is Lankford gets most of that slot, but that that's probably their, you know, most significant pick. Obviously they're not picking again until the fourth round. Um, and then, uh, and then we have, you know, we have the twins coming up here too. You know, it was kind of mentioned that the twins probably weren't going to go the prep route. So this could be your first, I guess, deviation from the big five players. Yeah. It's strange that uh to think about this pick, like you just said, because, Walker Jenkins would be the pick here um, logically, I think for like, in terms of like what we value from talent. Um, But, you know, I think, like you said, it doesn't seem like they've wanted to go prep. So I could still see it being Walker Jenkins, but this would be a really interesting spot for Kyle Teal actually, which uh, would be a little bit of a reach in some people's mind. Um, But I think it would make a lot of sense for the twins for a a soon to be ready college bat, especially a catcher. Uh, Furthermore, I was going to say, you know, with Wyatt Langford being picked four he could be the best bat in the draft. I mean, I know we love Dylan Cruz and we've talked about it, um, but there was serious steam for him to go number one. And, you know, he has, does a lot of the things Dylan Cruz does um, and in a very 
productive way. So Langford at four for the Rangers, especially a team like the Rangers that's competing. Langford could be a part of their outfield within a year, uh, maybe two years. I mean, that's a really good pick for Texas there. Yeah, so the, so the Twins, they did it. They go uh, Walker Jenkins, outfielder from North Carolina, who, look, was one of the big five here. But I do think that, you know, there was a lot of talk. The Twins are a model team. This could be Jacob Gonzalez. It could be Kyle Teal. But – you know, after all this is shaken out, the top five players that everybody has talked about for months went in the top five spots. Not not necessarily where everybody thought they were going to go. I think my mock draft is 0 for 5, I think. So, uh, you know, I went on a little bit of a run last year, but this this is uh, pretty yeah. rough so far. Before you bring that up, I have a little tally here uh, in my notes because on the Sox Machine page, if you go to SoxMachine.com, James and Josh Nelson released their final mock draft prior to the start of the draft. And uh, yeah, according to my calculations, 0 for 5 right now. What does Josh well, have? Did he hit so any? It looks like uh, Josh has yeah, none. Two maybe. Did he hit one or two? No? He's got none. Skeens wow. was supposed to go one. You guys had the same there. Yeah, zero. He just missed Max Clark. Going to the Tigers. Speaking well, of the has, Tigers. Nobody has that. <laughs> yeah, nobody had have, that at all. We do have our friend uh, Rogelio Castillo scheduled to join us, so we're going to give him a minute, and when he's ready, he'll pop on in uh, to break down the Max Clark pick, going number three with the Detroit Tigers. But uh, we're keeping an eye on the Twins, and the Twins just made that pick. And as James and Elijah just talked about, Walker Jenkins, out of high school, prep outfielder, pretty impressive. Can you give us more information on what the Twins just brought on? So, I mean, it's uh big, big power here. I mean, he was, there was like a lot of talk about like injury concerns maybe with this guy, but you know, I do think that he would be in the one, one conversation some other years. I think last yep. year he, he would have been, I think holiday still would have went, but you know, I think you would have heard this guy up there. Um, you know, probably a right field profile. He's not as likely to stick in center as, as Max Clark is. Look, I think this is a no brainer for the twins. I thought like, taking a model college player, you know, for that reason would have been, you know, a bit of a reach to me. So, you know, they, they took this guy. It is a Scott Boris guy. So yeah. Um, in- interesting for the twins. It's a, he had a 632 on base percentage in high school. If anybody was curious, not that high school stats are uh, that reliable, but that's still pretty insane. Um, you know, this is a guy who's, he, he's phenomenal. He's got all the talent in the world. Um, he's, he's definitely high upside. I think it makes a lot of sense for the twins. Unfortunately, another guy that we are going to have to cheer against for the long run, uh, just like Max Clark, both the top high school guys, you know, long-term going to the tigers and the twins in our division, um, which is, you know, it, it further leaves the division wide open though in the next few years because both these guys are definitely going to take some time. And then before before we get a guest here, Mike, it looks like the Oakland A's, Jacob Wilson of Grand Canyon, that's Jack Wilson's son. The best thing about this pick is that he's not going to be on the board at 15 and the White Sox can't take him. So that's, <laughs> that's my favorite part anyways. All right. It looks like uh, we do have Rogelio Castillo joining us. Um, We're going to give him just a hot second to get set up. And also Jeremy Nygaard, who will break down the Twins pick as well from Twins Daily. So uh, thanks for hanging out. Give us just a minute, Jeremy, and we'll get to you after we talk to Rogelio to react to Max Clark. A couple of really impact players coming into the AL Central. And it's one of those situations where I wanted both of those guys. You know what I mean? And I'm a White Sox fan at pick, at pick 15. I know that they weren't going to select either of them. But hearing what Mike Shirley talked about as personal hitting coach to Max Clark, by the way, I'm just such a huge fan of uh, of the high school 
um, outfielder that the Tigers just acquired. And according to James and Elijah, the Twins got themselves a pretty quality guy as well at number five. So we're going to react to all of it as well. It uh, looks like Rogelio's ready, so we're going to add him to the live stream. Elijah, we're going to kick you off here real quick and we're gonna bring in Rogelio, our guy uh hey man good to talk to you again how are you likewise how are you guys doing uh we're excited about the white Sox picking at 15 um we're excited but also upset at the same time because max clark going to three he's like really awesome in our opinion what was your reaction when you saw that honestly i was shocked um just because yesterday we were down at the ballpark i did not see this coming there was talk about Tigers were heavily favored a college bat, but the bra- Tigers brass has been down in the Illich headquarters, kind of hiding out a little bit. And so they're very close lip, but the smoke screen, they fooled us all. It, they really did because Max Clark was originally prepped for the, originally when those early mock drafts came out, Tigers really liked them. And then after that, it was just radio silence. And so um, the hitting tools there, I mean, you, know, you could run, and there's a lot of upside to it, but with I was just perplexed because right now the Tigers, in terms of the outfield depth right now in this farm system, maybe because I look at it from the farm system point of view, they don't really have any outfielders outside Parker Meadows that can come up right now. And I thought at least Langford and Cruz would be a lot closer than Clark. I mean, Clark could blow us all away. Who knows? Under this new regime, with Scott Harris regime, it could be a completely different story. But honestly... My initial reaction, I look like I got punched in the stomach. Yeah, I, dude, I think Max Clark's going to be a freaking superstar. So, you know, now I'm now I'm kind of forced to hate him a little bit, but we're going to see him a bunch. Um, high school players move quicker than ever. It's kind of like you said, big hit tool, definite center fielder. I think the power is the question. I don't know how much you've listened to Max Clark or paid attention. I know we, you know, you kind of get tunnel vision, right? Like I, if I were you, I would have been thinking – Wyatt Lankford and maybe Cruz, right? And then this kind of this kind of happens, and it's a bit of a shock. This is a great kid that's, you know, he he's got this big like social media platform and profile where he's helped like younger kids like in baseball and stuff. Max Clark, I think, is going to be an absolute stud. Um, and I and I bet they're saving a little bit of money too. I know that, you know, maybe we don't care that much about that, but Tigers get an extra pick. You know, I'm I'm guessing they're saving a little bit. Scott Harris. Uh, you know, taking him there. If he doesn't go there, I'm not sure where he goes necessarily, you know? So uh, pretty, pretty interesting. It was definitely like, I guess the first surprise, even though those first five guys were supposed to go in the top five somewhere. Yeah. In terms of power too, the Tigers have right now, you have Riley Green right now as their regular hitter. He's developing a power, but beyond that in the outfield, at least in my opinion, even guys like Roberto Campos, who's down in West Michigan, he doesn't hit for a lot of power. And so I was really surprised with Clark. Clark's going to take some time to develop into that power. I Again, defensive profile, great. I've seen he's a left-handed stick, so I, I, that's also probably the logic behind it, being the dimensions at Comerica Park. But I think what they do at 37 will be, I think they're going to spend that money, and maybe they have somebody in mind. Maybe they have an arm in mind. Or maybe they have a. There's a lot of college bats that are still going to be around in that draft towards the end of that draft of that round. So maybe like a guy I like is the uh, you know even they might even go back to something like uh, Aiden Miller, the high schooler, the third baseman high school. They might go back to back high schoolers or Johanna Johandy Morales, the third baseman out of Miami. I like him a lot too. I like his profile, but 
we'll see. I mean, it's again, I, I think Tiger, like just the reaction in our chat tonight, Tiger fans are just stunned and also not surprised because they did the smartest guy in the room syndrome. I'm not sure if you guys suffer from that down there in Chicago with Rick Hahn, but it's already happening here. So, Rogelio, before we let you go, and we really appreciate your time, uh, you were the one, the last time we talked to you, to tip to us to Al Avila and his kind of standing with the organization at the time. It, since then, he's been fired. What do you think of the new infrastructure put into place and the front office chemistry? Are, are, you, uh, are you buying into the Detroit Tigers? I'm buying in, but as a, so as a, I put this in two separate opinions. As a fan, I like it because I can see the the product, like, for example, signing Zach McKinstry, who didn't do anything with the Cubs or the Dodgers. He's turned out to be, and um, turned out to be a very effective player for the Tigers. He's been, uh, they played him all over the diamond. Even although they cut Jake, uh, uh, Marisic, James, yeah. Uh, yeah, Marisic, thank you. He was still, he came in and was, did a, a good job. And some of the minor, like even like Tyler Holton, who leads all rookies in ERA, that's a, that was a good find by them. They've been able to find those things. And as a fan, I'm happy. As part of the press, the way they've, they've been really quiet. So some of the interactions have been very limited. I don't see him around that much. I mean, we'll see Scott Harris pop his head up here and there when I go to the ball games. Um, but it's getting better. I know he reads Twitter a lot. So we did find that out recently. Um, but I think that will come in time as it gets more comfortable into the role. But I think the way that he's been able to, it's just some of the things are just like, even the Colt Keith call up the AAA was a little strange. There's little things that are not what they usually are. So maybe just getting used to what the new norm will be as part of the press. But overall, as a fan, I think he's done a good job in, in the vision that's really bad, as you guys know. Um, <laughs> They were able to take at least, I mean, they no hit the Jays for whatever that's worth. Um, but that was a surprise, it came to surprise. But they, despite the injuries, I think AJ Hinch has done a really good job with the new players that Scott Harris has brought in. Uh, first in franchise history, right? The no hitter combined, yeah, no hitter combined first, yeah, in the ninth in team history, yeah. So it was like I said, even being there yesterday, it was you looked up in the eighth and you were it didn't feel like a no hitter at all because he uh, Matt Manning struggled in the first with couple walks before he settled down he had some back tightness and it just was one of those things we look up and there yeah. it is <laughs> well Rahelio, thanks so much and appreciate your coverage uh, we'll talk again i know soon you can follow him on twitter at raj cast baseball that's r-o-g cast baseball thanks again for popping in today thanks guys all right james i'm gonna bring in elijah because we do have another guest and we did briefly mention uh some picks in the meantime so james take a break elijah welcome back in hello sir we're gonna bring in our guy from the twins yeah. just a hot second. um let's uh let's we just got about, the seventh yeah let's talk about six and seven quickly jacob wilson out of grand canyon university in arizona it's a shortstop and rhett louder goes to the twins uh, at pick, or I'm sorry, the Reds at pick number seven. I'm thinking of the Twins because we have yeah. a guest. We have a guest. Elijah, yeah. I'm just going to mute you real quick. Give me one second. Thank you. I'm going to mute him because I want to do a thing or two. All right. Let's welcome in Jeremy Nygaard. Jeremy, welcome in. Am I saying your last name correctly? Yep. 
Welcome, Jeremy. Thanks so much for taking the time. You're a friend of our friend, Seth Stowes. Uh, We always like to talk to Seth from uh, Twins Daily, so welcome in. Uh, What's your reaction to the Walker-Jenkins selection? Real quick, Ben Badler said that in maybe another draft, this could be a 1-1 selection. Yeah, uh, you know, I think it was kind of surprising because there had been a lot of smoke about how the Twins may be preferring a college bat. And so I think the the fear maybe was that the Twins would go well off the board and take someone like a Jacob Gonzalez uh, instead of taking whatever that fifth player that was available uh, may be. And I think, you know, I would have felt bad if they would have went in for someone like Jacob Gonzalez just because that would have been his intro to the organization that fans didn't want him. And I think fans were relieved to see that Walker Jenkins is the pick. Uh, you know, the first thing that is on a comment on, on Twins Daily is great. Another left-handed hitting outfielder. It's just what the Twins need. But uh, because he is that high, that high ceiling prep guy, uh, and the Twins really don't have a ton of uh, high-end prospects besides Brooke Lee, Brooks Lee, he's probably the new number one prospect in the organization. I uh, I agree with that. I love that, Jeremy. Um, I think that's, I mean, in terms of upside, you got a great deal. I didn't think he was going to be there at the five, honestly. Um, I was kind of expecting Jenkins to go with that four, depending on how the first few picks had gone. Um, so I, I love that for you. And I think that's exactly what you said. You know, it's in terms of like pure upside, um, he definitely becomes like the highest upside um, in, in the organization, most likely. Um, and also an area where, you know, he, he's got a lot of pop and he's got a lot of growth to develop. I think it's going to take him some time. It's not a guy who you're expecting soon. Um, but I also think he's somebody that immediately, as you said, becomes a top prospect and just a really high level uh, potential bat for the organization. Yeah, what's interesting about him is when I started really getting into the research this year, he seemed like a guy that would be a very much a, a twins type prospect. Uh, you know, like, and someone had asked me, well, what, what is Walker Jenkins going to be? And my response was everything that fans wanted Max Kepler to be right? The super athletic, good fielding, outfielder, hits for high average, hits for power. Uh, You know, that Max Kepler hasn't necessarily become except for that one season. And I think that's really what, you know, Max Kepler might be a good comp for the, the, the middle of the road Walker Jenkins. And I think that the high side of him is much, much greater. I think that's a really good comparison, actually. I like that a lot. Um, And I think, I think you're exactly right. That's like, that's what you, you know, Walker Jenkins like should be at the, at the, the middle level, you know, he, he can be that. And I think he, he has potential to be, you know, what the highest end of what Kepler could have been um, what could be still, you know, he's not that old, but I think that's exactly right. That's a, that's a good comparison. And I think, I think Jenkins will take, has the ability to be that and more um, for the twins, which would be really exciting for the organization. And I think it's just a, it's a, it's a good move. I think you guys, I mean, I think taking, there was people saying, you know, at that five, given how the first four went, it seemed like they could have gone away from the high school and gone to more of a safe college player like a Kyle Teal um, or Rhett Louder, who just went seventh potentially. Um, but I think taking the best upside player was the right decision for the Twins. And Jeremy, now, since we have you here, really appreciate your patience, too, as we were talking to our Tigers guest. I just want to have a basic question about the organization, uh, because I'm such a huge fan of Bailey Ober and the way that he's been developing over the last year plus. Um, and, you know, in the preseason, the Twins were ranked around 19, I believe it was, in the uh, farm system among all 30 teams. And the White Sox, you know, they, they've been in the bottom 10 for a few years now, but hoping to get out of that. 
Uh, how would you describe the way that the, uh, the twins, I should say, are developing their guys in the minors and sort of the philosophy behind building their organization to compete? That's an interesting question because I think the overall the twins' best prospects haven't really been performing great this year. Uh, Brooks Lee's been okay, not great. Uh, Emmanuel Rodriguez, which is really their only top 100 guy else, you know, besides him, has had really, really bad stretches at high A. Uh, and then some of the, the, the younger prospects just haven't really developed the way that I think people anticipated that they would. As far as pitching goes, Mark Araya, uh was kind of had, had the kid gloves on for a long time and was recently promoted to double A. But Connor Prelup is the other higher prospect, you know, higher ranked prospect. And he pitched one time for Cedar Rapids and that, and then has been shut down, made one rehab start in the complex league and then got shut down again. And so the, the development of the high end guys hasn't really been there this year. There has been some guys from last year's draft, Corey Lewis, CJ Culpepper, uh, that have kind of jumped up. But I think overall, when, when they start doing, um, you know, when baseball America or MLB or whoever looks at, organizational lists i don't think the twins are going to be very high because they've lost royce lewis they've lost edward julian like they've lost uh some of these guys to graduation haven't really replaced him with anybody that's really jumped up so bailey ober's been a success story and there are some other pitchers kind of in the in the mid levels but they're just they haven't developed simeon woods richardson and austin martin the return for jose barrios have both been bad or hurt and so you know, Bailey Ober is like the one guy that, that you can really say, yeah, he's, he's developed it. Twins developed him properly because he came basically without throwing any innings and then they, they, they did it right. And he's been really good. Uh, but as, as far as the rest of the, the system's been, it's been not great at best. Before we let you go, Jeremy, thank you again for your time. Uh, what's your, what's your take on the way the twins are playing this year? Are you still thinking that they could win the division? Um, you know, it's, it's been weird. Uh, fortunately, I've got a lot of, uh, a lot of draft stuff that I've done over the last three weeks. And so I haven't watched as much twins as, as I usually do. Uh, walked into my house today, they were up one, nothing. Then it was tied one, one. Then they gave a two run home run, had to run to the grocery store, came back. And my son says, well, the twins are down 14 to one. And I'm like, no, they're not. And they actually were. Uh, it, so it's been weird. Like the, the hitters haven't hit. And what is that? Is it a philosophy thing? You know, then they have their, their players only meeting and things get better for, I think, two games or a series against the Royals, you know, and, and now it's back to just being God awful again. And, and so I don't know, and, uh, I don't know what I'm going to do now when the draft's over and I got to start watching them every night. Sounds too familiar, Jeremy. Sounds very, very familiar to our White Sox and just really the division in general. Um, so the good thing is you're, the Twins are in a situation where, you know, the division is very winnable. So as, as bad as the offense may have been lately, you have a dominant top of the rotation. Um, and ultimately, I mean, that's that's one of the dividers I see between the White Sox and, you know, the Twins and the Guardians is at least you know you can count on the majority of your starting pitchers. Um, so I think I think the Twins have a good shot. It's going to be interesting to see. But, you know, it's, it's going to be hard to imagine any of the teams in the AL Central making serious noise in the playoffs. Well, yeah, but you get to the playoffs and it's right. all, you know, it's all different. Yep. And exactly. so you can be a 500 team and would be able to win a, a three game series first and then a you know a five game series or whatever and so it's just it's just getting there but it might only take 78 wins to to get there in the AL Central right now yeah 
Yeah. Jeremy, this is a pleasure. Uh, thank you. And continued good work. Uh, we're friends, like we said, with Seth Stowe's and we're always checking in on twinsdaily.com. And uh, you, I know you do a lot of work and you're dedicated to the farm system and the draft. So you can follow Jeremy Nygaard at Jeremy Nygaard on Twitter. Thanks so much for jumping on with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. Welcome back, James Fox. Uh, All right. Thanks so, for getting Jeremy. I wanted to talk to the Twins guy, and uh, you picked the right one. So I appreciate that. Yeah, we got to get some updates on the draft. Well, we'll yeah. fill us in here. Well, so one of the White Sox targets just got popped. So there's one, the Blake Mitchell. I know Elijah Evans isn't going to be upset by that, but kind of weird. Kyle Teal, like the college catcher, is still on the board. They popped the high school catcher. My guess is significant savings, obviously, yep. at number eight. Um Royals it's are a very, very Royals strange. Move. Yeah, very, very weird organization. Yeah. This clutch hat trick said over here in our comment section. Yeah, yep. their system's really uh, not good. And they have some big league talent, but they're also, you know, one of the only teams in baseball worse than the White Sox currently. So, yeah, they're, they're in a lot of trouble. That's a guy that's not going to help anytime soon. But um, so, yeah, that's interesting at eight. And then we didn't, we didn't talk seven yet, right? So that's Rhett Louder. There are all sorts of, Rumors today about an elbow injury for Rhett Lauder. Um, apparently, the Cincinnati Reds didn't really care. They popped him at seven. And then the next one here, Colorado, it's being reported that that is indeed Chase Dolander of Tennessee. Yeah. So three picks Ooh. there kind of right in a row. It's interesting, though. I mean, like like you said, with what the Sox, what just happened to the three picks ahead of us, you know, with, with Mitchell going that high, I think there's a legitimate chance that Teal's going to continue to fall a bit. I think he could get snatched up, but I think – What's also interesting to follow is the teams that could go after Teal also could be the teams that would be interested in Noble Meyer, um, even though they're very different players. I think I've seen Noble Meyer and Teal linked to some of the similar teams. So if either of those guys fell to the White Sox, I personally would be very happy. Yeah, I was open to Allender. I know he wasn't going to fall, but I was open that maybe he could have. Well, so, I mean, something you just mentioned, though, I mean, like, I mean, the White Sox haven't really been mentioned with Noble Meyer, right? But We've talked about Mike Shirley a lot. We, we've kind of talked about their predilection lately for like prep talent. Like, would they do it? If, they did it at 26. Would they do it at 15? I don't know. Um, I don't, I don't know that Meyer has the fastball characteristics that Mike Shirley looks for, like in prep pitchers. Um, but he's pretty freaking nasty though. Like, so yeah, yeah like I, he's also and, just, he's just very projectable. I think with, with Meyer, like from looking at him, like he's a guy that, you could imagine so much more than what we've seen from him so far. So purely off the upside in a similar way as Noah Schultz almost, um, I, I would love to see that for the White Sox. I know we haven't been linked to him as much, but it would definitely be a change of the plan going pitcher first. Um, but I think if he falls to 15, you really have to consider it. I am checking in on the mock draft. Josh got Jacob Wilson correct. So tally, you know what I'm saying? To Josh, James, I feel like one of you, one of you may have gotten Dolander. Did either of them, either of them, get Dolander? Let's see. And look at that, Josh yeah. got Dolander. Because oh, that one, goodness. that one's been common. Look at this. That's two to nothing, James. What's going on, man? When did, uh, yeah, when when did uh, Jim Callis tweet that out? Is my question. Because you know <laughs> he did. Uh, and apparently Eric Loggenhagen is saying that Noble Meyer is going to Miami at ten. So, oh wow. Ooh. That's uh, interesting, interesting, but look, I mean, All right. the, way, the way the board is shaping up here, there's mm -hmm. so the White Sox five players away, right? I, I kind of mentioned Arjun Namala 
as a as a prep guy, they've been linked to a lot of college players. So, I mean, like you have Kyle Teal on the board currently, Braden Taylor, third baseman of Texas Christian on the board currently, Matt Shaw of Maryland, Jacob Gonzalez of Mississippi. You know, you got an Enrique Bradfield there. So, you know, plenty of options for the White Sox here. You know, the only pitcher potentially Florida's Hurston Waldrip um, would be a surprise, obviously, just I think with the splitter usage and things along those lines, that that pick would be surprising to me. But, you know, if if they truly want to go position player, there's, uh, you know, there's more than five on the board and they, you know, they pick in five spots. So let's get a reset here. Uh, as we've had guests on, we want to thank again Craig Touth of Bucks in the Basement, Rogelio Castillo of uh, the Tigers Minor League Report, as well as Jeremy Nygaard of TwinsDaily.com. We're going to have a Cubs guest as well, Sean Sears, a friend of mine from 670 to the Score. Those familiar uh, have heard him on Saturdays and in the evenings producing. Um, he's he's our Cubs guy. He's a Cub fan. We're going to get that um, get him on around 13. But I have a, a feeling that we'll know where the White Sox are going to go at 15 prior uh, to their pick. So we're going to hang out. We're going to be here with you. We're reacting live to the draft. Thanks to everybody who checked in and is, um, you know, talking to us in the comments section. We really appreciate everybody here. We're reading you. Braden Taylor's falling. Uh, That's Sam Phelan's guy, James. Uh, We're also keeping an eye on, uh, look, and this is what I wanted to talk about actually is, you know, James, you talked about it as we began the live stream that Mike Shirley really appreciates high school talent. And we're seeing names at the prep level that are falling and potentially could land at the White Sox at 15. So I think that's where uh, I'm starting to get a little optimism here. I'm starting to get a little juiced up. You're talking about Matt Shaw uh, out of Maryland. That's probably my guy, but you know, if we go, we we're not a we guy. Okay. Let's make that clear. I'm not part of the White Sox. I'm not on the White Sox. I'm not a we guy. Right, but if the White Sox do decide to go prep there at 15, I, I would uh, I would be excited because it just really is a staple of what Shirley's trying to do. Yeah, I mean it's interesting. I think there's some guys that you know I mentioned Amala. I think is clearly the best one. Georgia's Colin Hauk. You know I he's been linked to the Diamondbacks. Um, you know I'm just not sure that the White Sox would do that like above. Namala, right? But we, we have a few picks yeah. here to kind of like see I'm, what happens. You know, there, there's some other guys too that are, you know, further down the board at publications, but you, you know, you never know what teams think here. I'm so I, I would say too. it's very, co- sorry, very, very Not college either. bat heavy right now. This is kind of the area for that. Yeah. I think you're right. And I also am curious to see what happens with the White Sox if Teal falls here? Because like you said, the the high school bats here are very interesting, but I'm not sure the White Sox can pass up on, you know, the best catcher by far in college baseball who, you know, is is the Sox. I, I know you don't draft for, for organizational fit, and I know that is something the Sox have made clear, and that's something that is just clear around the league. But this is not just a fit pick. I mean, Teal has been consensus top 10 in most places um, for a while now. So I think if he were to fall to 15, it's interesting. There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed, and that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire 
faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash sports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash sports. That's Indeed.com slash sports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Oh yeah, I think if I think if Kyle Teal's on the board, that's the pick. I just uh, so one of the other things that Mike Shirley said on Friday, he kind of said that he thinks that there's seven elite players in this class. I don't know that I necessarily agree with him on that, but you know, then he kind of said eight through fifteen could go any way. I, I guess the other two guys were I. That's what I was trying to figure out. Like, who is he talking about? Who are his other two? Because I thought Teal was player number six, and then seven, you know, could be louder or you know, Dolander or Meyer or somebody else. But like, I'm pretty sure if he thinks there's seven elite players, one of them has to be Kyle Teal. I'm down. White Sox need some catching. Um, not to dismiss those that are in the system already, but in the immediate sense, Kyle Teal, massive boost to the organization. And I, I just think it's fascinating. Three pitchers went in the top 10 um, and, you know, number one overall went pitching. Four pitchers actually. Is that the, oh, that's right. The sorry, twi- I didn't see yeah, the twins. With, with I'm sorry. The Marlins, the Marlins populate yep. um, their pick populated yet. Yeah, Noble Meyer. There it is. That's true. Noble Meyer, another pitcher. So four in the top 10, as Elijah stated, and um, it's our, that's our first prep pitcher off the board. So I think, I think it's, it's different today. I want, because looking at Wyatt Langford, right. Or I'm sorry, Rhett Louder. Uh, I was looking at Rhett Lauder, and I bring him up because watching Rhett Lauder versus Paul Skeens was one of the you know, most interesting uh, battles that I've watched in the college game probably ever. Um, and he finished the season 120 innings, a sub-2 ERA, and 19 starts. Um, the point is workload for these guys at the college level, those going in the top 10, and then you're taking, like in the Marlins case here, Noble Meyer at 10 out of high school. The ath- the modern athlete is so different versus what we're used to across 15 years, say 15 years ago, over a decade ago. And I think that shouldn't be understated because even it does, it could apply to the White Sox at 15, of course, but you talk about elite players in this specific draft class. We had a couple of play, uh, uh, guests already on who mentioned the 2020 and the significance and the fallout of, of what players you know decided to take their extra year of eligibility or who decided instead of entering the draft as high school players to go to college. We're seeing the fruits of it here of all the, the elite talent that are littered across the first round and James mentioned it Shirley said that post seven there's there's round like what is it from seven to 18 or so they're clumped together very similar types of athletes and the point that I'm making here is these pitchers who are selected in the top 10 can develop in a year and a half if you're including this season so especially the college arms it's not out of the question that we'll see these names in a year, which is extremely exciting to me. Um, and I don't know, in, in thinking about what Mike Shirley talked about is like not looking at need at the big league level versus, you know, the organizational depth and the farm system, they're two separate entities. I, 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 this is all the things that are going on in my head and I'm wondering how it'll play into the decision at 15 based on where these players fall. 
So the point is, pitching in the early portion of the draft isn't necessarily as volatile as it was um, maybe when I was growing up, like 10 years ago, because you know these guys are ready, they're built, and the way that modern uh, exercise and you know, dieting and, and the science, the sports science of it. I just can't stress that enough. Uh, we're looking at a different age of athletes growing up and getting into uh, the major league atmosphere in all sports. And in baseball, um, you know, typically we're seeing guys stay longer in the, in the minors, but we're going to see young players, 21, 22 years old in the big leagues more frequently moving forward. So I just wanted to make mention of that um, overall. We're looking ahead to the White Sox pick at 15. Welcome in everybody who are joining us. Uh, looks like we got another pick. Elijah, you want to do the honors? Yeah, I'm hearing it's really interesting. This is a this is a huge jump and a, and a peak a pick on a guy who was expected to go way later in the first round. Nolan Chanel Chanel. I don't know exactly how to say his name. You can help me out there, James. But uh, he's a a high school guy um, from Florida, and he was. He was expect or Florida Atlantic, pardon me. Um, that's what I'm gonna say, Florida Atlantic. And he's uh, he was expected to go. You know, I was seeing him in the 20s, late 20s range for the most part. And the Angels go with him at the 11th pick. Yeah, so it's yeah, college first baseman um, yeah. Nolan Chenuel, um put up monster numbers this year. Um, I think a lot of teams maybe think that he can play the outfield. Um, you know, you see first base and it's another guy that you were kind of like hoping that the White Sox wouldn't take, even though this guy, this guy's going to hit. Um, he hits from the left side. It makes sense for the Angels. He'll probably be like in the majors for the Angels, yep. like in August at the rate that they're going. They, they've like over promoted everybody that they've taken lately. So I saw this mocked a couple of places. He hit 447 this year with 19 homers and 71 walks. Um, so. I don't know whether it's definitely first base or, you know, whether he's going to play the outfield. I think he was announced as a first baseman, which, you know, at 11 is interesting. You know, he does hit lefty, controls the strike zone. So I get it for them because they've been incredibly safe with quick movers. Um, but, you know, just another one where a couple weeks ago would have been kind of a big surprise just him going this high. Just to put it into a little perspective, just in layman's terms, he was ranked 26th on the board, according to Major League Baseball Pipeline, and the Angels selected Nolan Chanul at 11, um, like they were mentioning a first base prospect. And typically, first base, you're focusing, you're a hitter, and essentially if you're, you know... <laughs> as a first baseman, I think the projection is much easier uh, to anticipate because you do one thing you hit and you slug and that's really what you got to focus on this is pretty aggressive pick by the angels and like james said you know they're they have this tendency the last few drafts to go with guys that they can easily quick and easily promote and quickly you know we saw them with zach netto and ben joyce with extremely quick promotions um i don't know if it's quite this season uh but it, it could be honestly but by next season i expect him to be in los angeles and I don't know. It's going to be really interesting to see the direction of the Angels moving forward uh, with the Shohei Otani situation because they, you know, they need to figure out what their direction is. And if they don't have Shohei in that plan, it's going to really change everything they're doing right now. Okay. Sh should I just like chill out a little bit on the whole Kyle Teal to the Chicago White Sox so, thing? <laughs> so here's the thing. Like th this is Come really, on. this is really interesting. So, you know, Joe Doyle's reporting that the Diamondbacks at 12 are going to take Tommy Troy. Okay. Which, 
look, it's only a couple picks away. So in my mock draft, I have Arjun Namala, the Strawberry Crest Florida, you know, prep shortstop going to the White Sox at 15. I did not have Virginia's Kyle Teal on the board. Um, at this point, obviously, Matt Shaw of Maryland is on the board. Another guy I know the White Sox connected to a little bit was TCU third baseman Braden Taylor. So, look, they they could have the opportunity to draft any of those guys. Um, Cubs are coming up at 13. They've been linked to a bunch of different players. Same thing for Boston. They've been a little bit strange of late where they've taken a lot of prep infielders. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we're a couple picks away with a lot of guys on the board that I think we would like. There's there's a lot more options that I'm happy with than I expected to. I am just terrified of the possibility of us taking Jacob Gonzalez. Um, that's my only concern here. I'm not a huge fan of Gonzalez. I don't think he's all that projectable compared to some of these other guys. Um, I think there's a chance it happens, though. But this is pretty insane, um, the options the White Sox have at this spot. Okay, breathe. Take a breath. Let's, let's, uh, okay. I can't help it. I'm getting super excited. I hope Kyle Teal drops because all of a sudden that just, I mean, like we talked about earlier, isn't just a catcher, but he slugs and you know, 21 years old is can potentially be a quick riser. Um, and somebody that wasn't projected to fall this far. So just breathing. Um, we thank everybody here. Uh, of course we're getting closer to the white Sox pick. We have, a Cubs guest coming up. Uh, we, if you're on Twitter, I know you're a little bit ahead, but bear with us as we're, we're also trying to follow the draft. Um, this has been, this has been fun. I, I, this is the first time that we've done a live draft show and things happen quickly. That's something that's like super underrated about this thing. It's a long night for these organizations, but the, the picks keep flying in and we're lucky to be connected to guys like Brian Sikowski here on future socks and Burt Granger as well. And Joe Doyle. If you go to the future socks podcast feed, you'll hear it. You'll hear all of them. So it uh, looks like we got more picks coming in. I'm just, I'm reading the chat. It's moving pretty quickly. I'm trying to keep up on the MLB draft. Oh, it looks like uh, uh, we got a, we got another pick in Tommy Troy. That's not, that's not the guy that we we're talking about here. Tommy Troy is going to the Arizona diamondbacks at pick number 12 guys, instant reactions. Yeah. Just, a, just another one of these guys, like in the group of college guys, um, you know, smaller infield type. I think he could play all over. He could play second. He could probably play third. He's played some outfield. So, yeah, Tommy, I mean, this is interesting here. It's just a little bit higher than I thought. And then we do apparently have the Cubs pick, too, according to Erica Wagenhagen, with Matt Shaw, down, of, Matt Shaw of Maryland to the Cubs. Oh, boo, wow. boo, so if we have <laughs> so if we have Sean, is Sean ready, we can, wow. we can bring him in. But This is – I'm just going to say real quick, though. <laughs> I mean, three yeah. guys that I love are going to be available with only one pick ahead of the White Sox. So if it's Namala, if it's Teal, if it's Hauk even, I mean, they're, the Sox have some – I mean, Namala or Teal would be an absolute home run, in my opinion, either of those directions. Totally different types of direction, but either of those guys at 15 would be amazing for the White Sox. All right, Elijah, we're going to give you a break here. Yep. We do have a guest coming on. It is our buddy, Sean Sears from 670 to the score. You can follow Sean at Sean R. Sears. We do know that it will be Matt Shaw, the middle infielder from Maryland, as we welcome in Sean to the stream. Hello, sir. Oh, my gosh. What's going on? What's going on in, uh, in your head right now? 
I, uh, I'm excited. I don't know. I, this wasn't the guy I was expecting. Um, I know the Cubs were enamored with a lot of these shortstops. I know the talk was that these young kids, these young shortstops were the, were, were what they were looking at. So this is interesting, but I don't know. I mean, I just love athletic players. And I think that's where the Cubs are kind of looking at this these last couple of years. Um, I know they've gone heavy pitching the last two drafts or mainly more of this previous draft, but guy like Ed Howard, you see like what Christopher Morrell has been in their system. Guys like James Triantos, who's like, maybe not, I would say athletic, but like is a guy that plays a lot of positions, the Cubs seem to be enamored by a lot of that. So I'm, I'm up for it. I'm intrigued. I honestly, I don't know a ton about Shaw, but um, I know he was one of the top players in this draft and he was one of the better players in Maryland. So I'm excited. I don't know. How are you guys doing? I feel like I haven't seen you. Uh, yeah, it up, no, great. yeah, I appreciate you, Sean. Uh, that's good to hear. And you mentioned the heavy draft. Uh, I should say, you know, the Cubs going heavy pitching in the draft over the last mm-hmm. couple of seasons, a lot, like throughout their 20 rounds, see a lot of pitching. And I think Jordan Wicks, am I wrong in that? Jordan Wicks was a previous first-round draft yep, pick. Uh, 2021 first-round pick, yeah, out of Kansas State. And he's projected to maybe make his debut next season, uh, mm-hmm. if, if I read that correctly. So – when it comes to Matt Shaw, this is a guy who played shortstop at Maryland, but hit very well, athletic. Right. Uh, we talked to Burt Granger, who projected him to be more of a second baseman. The, the Cubs also selected Ed Howard, an athletic mm-hmm. shortstop, of course, out of high school, local product who dealt with injury history. Now he's back and playing, which is great. And I think just overall, in your, in your opinion, um, I want to ask you about the philosophy of the Chicago Cubs. You touched on it a little bit more, mm-hmm. a little bit earlier, I should say, a little bit there about, you know, the athletic up the middle talent. But I just think it's just another example that, you know, that philosophy is coming to fruition. The Cubs love shortstops. They've always always kind of gone after that. And most teams do. You know, typically that's the best athlete on the field. You can kind of plug and play them wherever you see. But um, that's just kind of been that philosophy. They, they love that athletic player. They feel like they can mold them. Um, kind of similar to a lot of pitchers that are there that they've kind of taken in their system. If they do something well, they try and turn that into a weapon. Um, for these athletic players, the Cubs don't really see a ceiling on them. Um, they think that they can do a lot of different things. Um, Shaw kind of fits that role. You know, there's a lot of guys in this Cubs system now, like Kevin Mate is a, is a name that we've heard for a little bit here as well. I think he was an international prospect they signed. Um, he's another one of the shortstops. But you're kind of looking and seeing, like, the depth that shortstop, as great as it was maybe a couple of years ago, is still kind of there. Um, but you're just not quite sure if the top-end talent is going to be there. Um, you know, the Cubs have seen Nico Horner turn into a great player. Um, he's I think exceeded a lot of expectations for some Cubs fans when he was kind of coming in, especially when he's coming up and Javier Baez is still there. Addison Russell kind of, you know, not necessarily on the team, but still kind of involved at that moment when they picked Horner in 18. Um, That's just the way the Cubs like to, I guess, attack these players. They like athletic, you know, toolsy kind of kids that they can maybe try and keep up the middle, but if they get pushed to the outside or maybe they get pushed to a corner outfield or a center field, um, that's something they're okay with. Um, The bat is key though and we, we we heard a ton about this there's a lot of these high school shortstops that the cubs are reportedly enamored with and it kind of fits what they're lacking in their system right now we look at a lot of these players um outside of like kevin alcantar um there's not really a ton of high level you know proven bats um guys like brennan davis have been struggling to stay healthy and when they've been healthy haven't quite been there owen casey looks like a promising kid but he's just turned 21 this year um these kids are still far away and obviously Shaw's going to be another one of those too but that bat profile just like googling things quickly as i the pick rolled in before i jumped in with you guys I was like okay this is <laughs> this is exciting this is the kind of player that you want to see infused into your system um probably still a couple years away but 
he's a kid that gives the Cubs kind of what they're looking for in terms of the athletic profile, but also maybe some high ceiling with that as well, too. So, I'm, I mean, I'm not sure Shaw stays at shortstop. They probably send mm-hmm. him out as one, I would imagine. So he could go to right. low A and play shortstop is my guess. But I think he's one of these type of guys that could kind of play everywhere. So, you know, they like the versatility, second, third, left. I don't think it'll take too long. He should move pretty quick. He could he can yeah. really hit. So I think well, uh, that's interesting. And then, you know, signing – like their bonus pool comes into play a little bit too because they're mm-hmm. missing their own second rounder, but they have a comp second because and they of have, losing Wilson. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, and they supposedly have prep targets. So if it's a little bit under, I wouldn't be terribly surprised because a lot of these guys are very similar here in this range. Right, and we've seen the Cubs kind of do that. They always love to. They did last year with Horton and Ferris. Um, they're always kind of aggressive with some of those slots. I'm sure one of these top ten picks is going to be an over slot pay. By by uh by Hoyer and and Hawkins, that seems to be something they've done these, or at least Hoyer has the last couple of years. Um, so I'm sure we'll see maybe another prep kid come out here, maybe in the second round. A, a guy I really like um, from LSU is Trey Morgan. He's just been a kid I followed for a little bit here. He's kind of a kid that I feel like if the Cubs can maybe get him in the second round, that's someone that maybe fits a little bit of their profile, plays first base, which is a position of need in their system right now. Um, outside of Mervis, there's not a ton of guys. They just released Bryce Ball. Um, who I think they got back in the Jack Peterson trade and 21. Um, so that'd be interesting. But he plays the outfield too, and he's got a good bat. He's a switch hitter. Um, those kind of players where the Cubs don't have to pinch, pigeonhole them into a spot, kind of let them grow into the player they want them to be. Um, they're open to that. And the Cubs' biggest thing is they talk about this all the time. And, you know, it's not crazy to hear this from systems, but um, they want to see players struggle a little bit initially. They want to see them kind of run into adversity, fight through it, and then come out the other side as, you know, an adjusted or better player. So, so uh, Shaw's one of those so, kids. I think you do that. So we do have Boston coming up here. It looks like they are going to take catcher Kyle Teal out of Virginia mm. at 14, according to Joe Doyle. So that, I mean, that does leave some possibilities here for the white Sox at 15 guys that they've been linked to Braden Taylor of TCU is on the board. Uh, you know, I, in my mock draft, I had them taking Florida prep Arjun Namala so we'll see. There, there are some options here, I, I feel like, for the White Sox with the 15th pick. Sean, we really appreciate your time. Thanks for jumping on with us. Uh, we'll talk to you again soon because we are interested in the development of the local kid at Howard as well as uh, you know, monitoring what the White Sox are doing. Or, <laughs> the White Sox. The Cubs. Uh, <laughs> go, uh, dude, 500, 500. It's not too bad, I guess. I don't know. Hey, Sean, thanks so much for joining us, man. No problem, guys. Good luck to your Sox tonight. I hope they get a good player here. That's our guy, Sean Sears, uh, a friend of ours at Sean R. Sears on Twitter. Okay, Elijah, welcome back to the stream. We're going to bring you back in here. Yeah, so like that, and we're going to do one of those. Uh, okay. Hearing so, some good things. I'm excited. What do you got? Um, I'm hearing I'm hearing some Arjun rumblings. Um, I can't, I can nothing confirmed at all yet. Um, I mean, it's up to us now. I think Teal would have been an amazing pick, um, but I think Arjun Namal, as James said in his mock, would be a great pick too. Um, I think both these guys being at us at 15, I didn't expect either of them to be at us at 15, to be honest. I thought Teal was for sure top 10. I thought Arjun was going to go right in that 11 to 13 range. Um, so I think both these guys being on the board, you know, obviously Teal is just going to the Red Sox now, but both these guys being... Um, on the board going into the 14 pick was shocking. Uh, so I am, I'm happy with either of these. Honestly, we have many options here. I wouldn't even mind Hauk. Uh, I think there's, there's good options here. As long as it's not Gonzalez, I am very satisfied. 
<laughs> James, are you excited? I'm starting to get a little butterflies in my tummy, I'll tell you that, because uh, we've been waiting a long time to see what the White Sox do at 15. Yeah, you get you guys know, like I don't I don't get excited. I just I stay even, you know, and <laughs> of course uh stay stay right here just like this. So yeah, I mean I guess I just like assumed the teal would be gone like a long time ago, right? That's kind Sorry. of uh like that that was that was very strange. I don't I don't really understand what happened there, but Yeah, so I feel the same we, way. I didn't expect it, him to be here. On the Sox Machine mock draft. Josh had Jacob Gonzalez, the shortstop out of Ole Miss, going to the um, going to the White Sox at 15. James, you had Arjun Namala, like we talked about. We're waiting. We're waiting. We're waiting. We're seeing. I don't know what's going to happen, but uh, Elijah, can you describe why you're not so into Jacob Gonzalez? I just, I just don't love the profile all around. Everything I've heard is just it's more of a guy. I, I don't know how much potential impact and in comparison to some of these prep guys, and I also think you're – you're probably going at slot, even potentially over slot for him here. You might actually be for, for Namala too at this point at uh, the 15th pick. Um, but I think it's better value. I think Namala provides a lot of potential. Um, I like his glove. I like his range. I think he could pl- end up playing all different positions. It has flexibility to the White Sox system. Um, and I just think it's the highest upside that that's available right now compared to Gonzalez. I am uh, furiously <laughs> refreshing Twitter, and it looks like yeah. Joe Doyle has the pick. Oh no! Oh, don't don't do that to me, Elijah. Don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. Joe Doyle at Joe Doyle M I L B says the Chicago White Sox are selecting shortstop Jacob Gonzalez out of Ole Miss at pick fifteen. There it is, another shortstop into the system. And Josh gets another one right, huh? Because he—that's his fourth. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I need to, I need to like copy Jim Callis more. I feel like so. I don't know. This one's like a little bit of a surprise to me just because like, it's not the, the super loud tools that I kind of thought that, you know, they might go with. This is a guy who like, I feel like a lot of people did think was like a top six to seven lock, like coming into the year, you know, you're national freshman of the year. We, you know, we, we did write a profile um, for him at future Sox. So look, I don't hate this as much as, some other people do because I do think it's 25 homer potential in the middle infield. He's just not really an athlete, which is like probably the biggest issue. I mean, it's 40 run. I've seen some people say 30 run, um, but you know, it is a left-handed bat with middle infield power. So um, a, a guy that was much better as a sophomore than he was as a junior he uses the entire field. So yeah, th- this is interesting. I- I'm sure they'll, They'll send him out as a shortstop. He should be in Canapolis, and uh, you know we'll go from there. We'll see what Mike Shirley has to say about it a little bit later tonight. Yeah, I, I want I, to hear your perspective. Go ahead, Elijah. No, I I hear you, James. I I don't. I'm trying to bring my thoughts together um, as I'm upset here a little bit. Um, and I get it. I get the pick. Um, I don't. No, I don't hate it. I, I don't like it. I I'll be honest. I just I think this strays away from what the White Sox have been going after and what the organization seem to be gravitating towards these high tools you get type guys um, that could make more of an impact. And I think Namala has, you know, a lot higher upside, honestly, than Gonzalez does. Um, I think Gonzalez is a good bat to ball guy. He's a solid hitter. You know, he has experience. He could be up quicker for sure. Um, so, I, I mean, I think he's, he's a decent player, but he's, he's a little slow. I'm not sure he ends up sticking at shortstop. He could, 
Um, I think he, I think he could be a shortstop, but he may be a third baseman, second baseman long-term. Um, and I honestly just, I just think some of these guys would have honestly would have been, you know, more upside and more to dream on. Um, but we'll see, we'll see where it goes. So I'm going to do a little bit of reading here. Okay. Cause I want to give you a little bit of a profile of uh, Jacob Gonzalez, the new Chicago White Sox draft pick um, man. Oh man. So here we go. Uh, Jacob Gonzalez, 21 years old, born in May. Okay, he bats left-handed, throws right-handed. Scouting grades, hit to him. Now, this is on a 2080 scale, um, 45-50 around average. Okay, so 55 hit tool, 55 power, 40 run, 55 arm, 50 field. And overall, his grade is a 55. Gonzalez earned National Freshman of the Year recognition in 2021 and helped Mississippi win its first-ever College World Series championship in June. The U.S. Collegiate National Team starter at shortstop the last two summers. He could be the first player drafted at that position in 2023. He's a lock to become the first Rebels position player ever selected in the first round. Gonzalez has the bat-to-ball skills and control of the strike zone to be at least a solid hitter, and he has been more consistent in 2023 after hunting home runs too much as a sophomore. With his strength, bat speed, and the leverage in his left-handed stroke, he has 25 homer potential. He does a nice job of using the entire field with most of his over-the-fence power going to his pull side. While Gonzalez regularly displays below-average speed out of the batter's box, he may be quick enough to stay at shortstop. His instincts and rhythm help his uh, cause at short, where he covers ground with long strides and has solid arm strength. Some evaluators wonder if he'll have to shift to third base or second base, but if so he'd be able to profile as a quality regular at either position. So with that being said, uh, a long-winded way of saying uh, a close to professional ready player with tools who are, um, I think, steady, solid and steady is my reaction to that profile, that description. Um, the run, what are you going to do? Uh, I mean, you're a slow player, but I know, Elijah, I know. Hang on. <laughs> yeah. It also has me thinking about the way Mike Shirley is going about evaluating players. You're talking about a guy who could play second, could play shortstop, uh, has 24 home run potential. But the fact that uh, that in this profile, it was described that Jacob Gonzalez has control of the strike zone. And obviously the White Sox value that um, that tool, um, that skill set in individuals, position players. Um, he's a college guy. Like I said, 21 years old, who we assume will transcend or will ascend, I should say, in, in the farm system across two years. Hopefully, you're looking at that kind of time frame by age 24. You're close to ready to go if that's the case. Um, I, look, I, let's hear from the fans. Elijah, I know you're upset. <laughs> I can, we're, we're feeling it. We're, we understand. Uh, we're seeing some uh, reaction in the chat here. They're not so... Uh, excited about it. Just just a reaction to what I had to say, Elijah. Let's just continue on why yeah. you're kind of resigned. No, I it. hear you. I, I I think it's there's some intrigue there. I think having a guy who's a little more experienced, like you mentioned, the discipline, a little bit more of approach, consistency is is important. And I think for the White Sox, it makes some sense organizationally. Um, but at the end of the day, I I think when you're drafting at this point in the draft, especially where the White Sox were, and given how funky this last five to ten picks went. I think you need to look at upside and that has been what the Sox have done really well, in my opinion, with a Noah Schultz, with a Colson Montgomery in these past few drafts. Um, but I, I think this is kind of 
falling back on some of the White Sox ways of ultimately, you know, taking a pick because it feels safe because he feels like he has accomplishments under his belt from college. And in my opinion, this is just my personal opinion. I know there's people out there I'm seeing that are happy about it. Um, it definitely, it could work out well for all I know. And Gonzalez is a, he's a smart player. He knows what he's doing. He's been around, but I think the athletic limitedness and the, the lack of upside compared to a Namala and some other guys, um, it frustrates me a bit because I think given how everything went, this could have been a pick we really hit out of the park. Um, and I, I don't see this as a home run pick. I think this pick could be decent, um, but I don't, I don't see him having upside of a star player. And given the White Sox organizational situation right now uh, in a spot where we are struggling and we're trying to enter this, you know, this new era rebuild, whatever it looks like in the next, you know, few months of the season going into next year in the off season, I would be going for potential and I don't see Jacob Gonzalez having the upside of some of the other guys on the board. That's where I'm at. James, your reaction to Elijah's comments. No. So, I mean, I definitely agree with that. There, I mean, there are guys with more upside for sure. I, he's not playing shortstop. I don't, I don't think, did they announce him as a shortstop? Maybe they'll send him out as a shortstop, but I mean, he's a big league second baseman, probably pull, pull power. Um, so look, it, probably pretty quick to the majors. I want to know what it costs. I'm a little bit surprised that that's the pick Mike Shirley made. So it kind of, you know, just makes me think that Mike Shirley maybe didn't make it. So I, I don't know. We'll see. But, uh, you know, I, I don't know where he was on their board. They talked about taking the fall, the falling college guy, right. And being prepared to do that. He had a lot of preseason hype to the point where, you know, he was in that top group and Paul Skeens and some of these other guys weren't right. And then a season happened. So I do think it's fairly, fairly safe where he's, he's going to play in the majors and he takes walks and he has power and it's, you know, it's second base, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, a little bit interesting. I don't, I don't mind it as much as, as some, I didn't want like a definite college corner. I thought I didn't think that was a great idea. So like if it were Braden Taylor, like I could have lived with it. Um, but I mean, if they were going college, I wanted college up the middle and not a corner. And, you know, to, I, I to, you. to, to me, um, you know, it's, it's not Yohandi Morales, which excites me. Um, yes. You know, I don't know if the prep players are pushed down the board to the point where, they didn't want to pay slot or they didn't want to go over slot because they have later targets. I don't know. Like they, you know, they have a second round pick tonight too. So we'll see. But um, yeah, I, I think this is okay in the middle of the first round. I think if you would have told people prior to the season that they get Jacob Gonzalez at 15, I think a lot of people would have said there's no way. Right. But yeah. you know, it kind of flies in the face of how they've drafted the past couple of years. Um, but you know, it's, I, I think it's I think it's okay. I think it could have been worse. And then there's you know obviously higher upside on the board. I, now I don't know how much higher upside there was on the board like on the college side, right? So like if you made the determination to go with a college bat here because <clears throat> you want to you know you want to pay high schoolers later, like maybe he was the best college option. I think there's just, in well, college, I, just think, yeah. I just think there's prep guys that I would have leaned on. I agree with you there. Um, I, I know you said against this kind of, but I kind of would have preferred Braden Taylor, honestly, um, personally. I'm not sure other people would agree with that, but I, I might lean Taylor here um, as opposed to Gonzalez. But generally, I agree. You know, if you're, if you want, if their plan was to go college here, I don't mind it as much. Uh, but I think 
I don't see why not going high school. Um, that's just me personally, but I, I get if the plan was college, I, I can see it a little more with going a middle guy as opposed to a pure corner guy. Um, but I, it's interesting. All right. We're getting reaction uh, in the chat. We're getting reaction on Twitter. <laughs> so when, when the pick came in, a lot of negative reaction, uh, including our guy, Elijah, as you saw, um, Alec S says that, uh, let's see. Um, the pick worries me because this team is now majority non-athletes. Uh, Joel Perez says pain. <laughs> uh, Clutch Hattrick says I'm upset. Um, Cry says this is the most White Sox pick ever. Um, so it, just just a sample of how we're feeling the reaction. I think the reaction, is, because we were getting hyped out uh, about Kyle Teal, uh, the potential that he could fall at 15, and then Arjun Namala, we were starting to get – kind of excited about Colin Hauk is still on the, on the board there. And um, I think that's the reason why we're seeing a part of the reason why we're seeing this type of response is um, maybe us as fans believe that the upside is higher in another pick. James, I think uh, you said it very well. I think this is a, a pretty safe selection. Um, a, a college hitter who was a part of a college program, a, a really good program, um, I saw on Twitter, Seth Stowe's our guy. He believes that um, he could be the future shortstop of the Chicago White Sox. Interesting um, opinion because I don't know. I, I, have, I have no idea the, the type of player that the White Sox are getting in Jacob Gonzalez until I see him play at a professional level. Um, curious how he did in the wood bat leagues, if he played at all. Um one of the things, too, we're talking about just what Mike Shirley has done in the draft in the past. He went uh, college pitcher and Garrett Crochet. He went high school shortstop, Colson Montgomery. He goes uh, high school pitcher and Noah Schultz in the first round. And now he's saying uh, now he goes college shortstop up the middle in Jacob Gonzalez. Um, I, I project Colson Montgomery to be there future shortstop at this point. I just uh, not knowing enough about Jacob Gonzalez to say otherwise, because the body of work suggests that Colson Montgomery can stay at shortstop and he's having success at every level that he's played in right now. Uh, I'd love to see how Jacob Gonzalez adjusts to professional pitching. Uh, that's the next step for him. But guys, you're getting a 21 year old shortstop who will develop as a shortstop, but over time could move to either third or second base. So I think it's a steady pick, and I think the White Sox need to build more up-the-middle, fundamentally sound baseball players. On the bright side, I know I'm showing a lot of negativity in the last few minutes, um, but on the bright side, I believe Bradfield, Enrique Bradfield, uh, just went to the O's at 17, and I am glad we got Jacob Gonzalez if the other option could have been Bradfield. So I, I am glad we didn't go that route. Um, I think they're definitely, in terms, I, the, more I, the more I think about the college options, as James said, you know, if you're going the college route, I don't mind the pick as much. I just I would have rather gone prep. Trey Williams says uh, the most White Sox move possible, just terrible. Aloha, Mr. Hand. Hey, welcome in, bud. Appreciate you checking and stopping by. He says Nick Madrigal 2.0. Okay, come on. Come on now. All right. All right. Uh, James, I know you're busy getting information about Jacob Gonzalez. Just curious um, what you're seeing on Twitter, some of the reaction you're getting around the league. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the people that like Jacob Gonzalez like like the pick, and the you know people that wanted somebody else clearly don't. I think it's okay, like in the in the middle of the round. Like I said, like I I'd like to hear 
what they have to say about it, like what their plans are, where they had him ranked, right? He's, you know, the best player on their board, I'm sure, is what they're going to say later on, right? And I, you know, something that Josh Nelson mentioned on Twitter, he walks a lot and he hits the ball in the air, which is, you know, two important, which are two important things. And they're things that the White Sox just don't do. So, you know, that's the good part of it. I, I think, like, look, I mentioned that there's scouts that, that had 30 run grades, he's playing second base guys. I mean, this is not somebody that's like going to be the future shortstop of the Chicago white Sox. Like that's, you know, you take shortstops because shortstops can play everywhere. Right. So, you know, it's not a college corner that's going to end up in left or at first, which is, I think the good part of this. And then look, I'm interested to see what they do uh, tonight and tomorrow. So yeah, I think, yeah, Sorry, real quick, Elijah here. Um, I want to just mention this from Brian Sikowski, just an outstanding source for us um, regarding information on these prospects. And you can follow Brian Sikowski at B underscore Sikowski underscore PG. He says, White Sox, Jacob Gonzalez, a beautiful left-handed swing with plus raw power, takes walks, solid average hit tool projection, chance to stick at shortstop with third base, the likely backup plan, consistent performer from a great program of Ole Miss. So, I mean, look, I, Aloha, Mr. Hand said Nick Magical 2.0, clutch hat trick, uh, kind of agrees with him. Aloha, I hear you. You, you. you expect him to be a utility player, and I understand completely the frustration with that. If you're selecting a utility player in the first round at 15, that can be frustrating. But um, there's, I mean, there's way more power ahead. than Nick Madrigal, though. That's it's what not I'm even, saying. Like, it's, he's not even similar to Nick Madrigal. No, not even like not even close. The guy, Nick the, guy that, is... the guy that's similar to Nick Madrigal went six to the A's. So. <laughs> yep, exactly. Well, it's just the uh, the anomaly. I get the, I get the frustration, but that's yeah. that's not anywhere near true. The the anomaly that is Nick Madrigal was the out like the seventy grade hit tool projection and um, you know the speed and and the the hit uh, the hit tool and the defense and the speed. Um, I, the, the raw power and the fact that Jacob Gonzalez could play third base. I know James, you project him more so as a second baseman. These are backup plans. I look, I, I need to see the guy play in person at the professional level before I make any, you know, judgments one way or the other. I'm looking at what evaluators, evaluators are suggesting. Some say that he was projected higher to go higher than 15. He was ranked 18th according to major league baseball pipeline uh in the draft so i mix reviews here james like back and forth but again it's and elijah please if you have have more to say no i was gonna say it's it's not nick magical at all i'm with james on that that's not that's not who he is he definitely has more pop than that he has more hitting potential than a magical ever did and more than a jacob wilson did more than an enrique bradfield does in my opinion so i i think it's definitely um it's better than some of the other options that they could have gone with I'm really curious where Namala is going to end up going. Um, I'm confused that he's still on the board. So I'm kind of, I'm curious about that. Cause if there's more to that, you know, there, there could, there's always could be stuff we don't know. That's the thing. You know, there, there could be a lot of other factors here, you know, with some of these high school guys, especially that we don't know yet. So it, it's hard to judge that. And I think we need to let it happen. And I'm, I'm excited to see what happens for him. I ultimately, as you said, I don't think he ends up playing shortstop, right? I think he's probably a second baseman, maybe a third baseman if the arm gets there a little more. Um, but I think, you know, he, he has, a well-rounded skill set that could continue to develop. And I think it's just going to have to, we're going to have to wait and see what, what happens with, with the rest of these picks, but it'll be, it'll be interesting. Um, and I think, you know, it, it comes down to how he develops and how the White Sox continue to grow him in the system. So from what I'm seeing, the more I read, uh, you know, reactions on Twitter and descriptions from experts, it really, to me, 
I believe the White Sox were sold on the plate approach, the discipline, the 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 advanced standing that he has at the plate, right? The advanced plate approach, I should say. That's you know, we're seeing complete hitter here, like names, very complete hitter with a pull oriented swing, uh, which can be tweaked. So, like these are examples of some of the qualities that the White Sox were identifying as an up the middle player who they believe is already at the advanced level as a hitter. So it's hard to adjust to professional hitting, obviously, but if the plate approach is there, they saw in Colson Montgomery, they saw in Andrew Vaughn. I mean, it's one of those things. I, I it's a determining factor, the, 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 the high floor, maybe a limited ceiling. I think that's, I think that's what they did. They, they saw a player with, Solid overall tools, nothing shiny, nothing crazy, but one that could move into like a higher level um, in a skill set, one that could move in a positive direction at the plate with his power potential. Um, now, I don't know if he's a, a, a non-athletic player because I haven't seen him in person or I haven't seen him move at shortstop. So, you know, if th- that... If that's the biggest downside of the player, then I'm I'm sort of concerned because if you're taking a non-athlete at shortstop, then then there's issues. But I I gotta believe that this is a well-rounded player with a solid enough plate approach, one that's ready to take on professional hitting, one that gives you confidence that he's not going to get overwhelmed by failure. Um, and I think that's that's where I'm at with this. I'm I want I'm a I'm content with a wait and see approach because I need to see more out of this player. And I know he had a down year compared to the uh, compared to the rest of his career at Ole Miss. But evaluators really do believe um, that this is a well-rounded up-the-middle player that may have projected to go higher uh, in the White Sox, or I should say in the MLB draft. I'm just looking at Twitter now as more and more information is, is filtering through. We also have updates on some picks that are being made outside of the White Sox, um, some so I just hit the refresh button there. Uh, Jacob Gonzalez again going to 15 to the White Sox, followed by Bryce Eldridge. Um, Enrique Bradfield Jr. to the Orioles and Brock Wilkin out of Wake Forest going to the Milwaukee Brewers. Wilkin projected to go 25th, goes to 18 to Milwaukee, a third baseman. Um, and Enrique Bradfield Jr. talked a little bit about him, lefty-lefty outfielder. Uh, Jacob Gonzalez, a lefty bat. Right-handed um, the defender. So that's where we're at as White Sox fans. Yeah, I do like that he's a lefty. I think that, that's a good factor. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know that's like a very small thing to say, but it is. It is The reality is the White Sox don't have a ton of lefty options aside from Colson Montgomery long-term. Um, so it's good to have another bat that is somebody who we expect to make an impact well, uh, from the left side of the plate. I'll tell you, with Enrique Bradfield, like I, I like him more now that Baltimore took him, actually, because <laughs> – like, I, I feel like whatever, like, his, like, 90th percentile outcome is, like, they'll they'll get him to it, and he'll be, like, a monster there. I did not trust that the White Sox could, but, uh, you know, in, in Baltimore, that's not bad. And then what El- Bryce Eldridge went to, that's an interesting uh, prep guy because he, he pitches and hits, right? But he, uh, I, I don't know what they announced him as. I didn't see it. So it looks like uh, Eldridge. Yeah, that's a good question. It doesn't look like it was. 
it was specified here. I'm not seeing anything yet. I could be looking at the wrong thing, but um, as I'm, I'm still scrolling through Twitter here, James, uh, if you go to the Future Sox Twitter, by the way, not to veer the conversation this route, but at Future Sox, if you're not following us, please do. Um, we retweeted a bunch of information on the new um, shortstop, Jacob Gonzalez. Um, here's an evaluator, Peter Flaherty of, of Baseball America, really respected around the industry. A left-handed hitter who will stick at the position where he is an AA defender. Present impact at the plate where his power is a tick above average. High floor pick here for Chicago. I read your Brian Sikowski's um, little blurb about Gonzalez. Beautiful left-handed stroke with power. Um, shout out to Josh Nelson again, by the way. That's uh, that's four. <clears throat> that's four picks over James. Um, I don't know. I didn't. I didn't check after the White Sox pick, so let me double check here. We got uh, Noble Meyer at 16. That didn't happen. Tommy Troy at 17. Did James get Eldridge? No, he missed it by one. Oh, man, that was a close one. Uh, Bradfield, Jacob Wilson. Did that happen? No, it did not. Braden Taylor goes 19 to the Tampa Bay Rays. That's quite the pickup for the Rays. Um, TCU shortstop, Braden Taylor. And nobody got that pick on the Sox Machine mock. So uh, we, we continue to move forward in this draft. But one more um, – one more real quick rundown of, of Jacob Gonzalez. It, it seems like people are excited that the White Sox got this player around the industry. So that's getting me a little bit more excited, right? Because I want to learn more about this player. And what I'm learning is that what we've been saying kind of is ringing true that this is a safe pick high floor player. Um, Aaron Fitt, uh, a contributor to D1 Baseball, Jacob Gonzalez goes number 15 to the White Sox. Uh, another steal, he called it. So that's where we're at. That's where we're at. Yeah. Well, we we be, did. Be... Go ahead, James. Well, no, I mean, we we did have a uh, a prospect profile for the, the first round pick this year. So we I wrote, nah, I wrote no, this one. Yeah. I think Keith Law had him in his top 10. Too. I think he had him as his ninth overall player. So. I guess that's a positive because I, I usually like Keith Law's evaluations on position players. So, you know, I'll have to go back and read and see, but you know, I, I really need to hear what they have to say just about their plans for yeah. Jacob Gonzalez and some of that. Cause he didn't really struggle this year. He just like, wasn't as good as he was yeah. as a sophomore. Right. So I'd like to hear about some of that. I just get excited about 21 year olds uh, entering the system um, and to hear Keith law have a projection, you know, top 10 pick and the white Sox selected him. We'll see how it develops. Sometimes the safe picks become safe players in the big leagues. And it's, it's not a replacement level player. Um, it's just a guy who's at shortstop for 10 years, right? We can dream. <laughs> we can dream a little bit. Um, we're going to react a little bit longer. I think we're going to wrap up this, this live feed we got i think enough out of the reactions uh final comments from the listeners if if you want to drop some in the chat bar thanks for listening on uh the socks machine youtube page as well james i know you have uh, some stuff to get to later on with mike shirley you'll be on the call so i'm really looking forward to what he has to say yeah, I'm uh, looking forward to seeing what he has to say too obviously pick 51 i think we'll get some inclination of you know, I guess maybe like the strategy the rest of the way. I know I had kind of talked about some prep pitching that they've been interested in. Blake Walters, Muhammad, Illinois could be an option there, but 
you know, who knows now? I think this kind of like opens them up because it's look, it's slot value at the most, which I think what their slot is like four and a half million, I think. So, you know, it, it, it won't, it definitely won't be more than that. So we know yeah, that they basically, could end up basically being... have the rest of their money to play with. And it might be a little bit under too, depending on, you know, where Jacob Gonzalez thought that he was going to come off the board. So. I was going to say, I think, I think we could see a few different things, but like you said, it definitely won't be an overslot. And I think it definitely could be a prep guy in terms of the pitching side. Um, that could be, you know, a little bit lower ranked. I think Walters would be great. I did a little research on Walters recently. I think that'd be a great pick, but I also think he could either be gone. And if he's still there, I think he may be priced out for the White Sox. Um, so I could see, you know, some slightly lower ranked prep pitchers, uh, maybe an Alex Clemmy, which is a really high upside, high risk high school guy from Rhode Island, possibly a Paul Wilson uh, from Oregon. Those are both left-handers. I think a left-hander wouldn't be a bad idea for the White Sox. Um, I could see a variety of things there, but like you said, I think it's, I think it's likely pitching um, probably. I mean, it, it could go different ways depending on it all depends on who's there on the board, but it could go many different ways, but I think you see a prep guy most likely and somebody that's at slot or even below slot potentially. So I know uh, Mike Shirley has, um, you know, an inkling to hang around the Midwest and especially in Indiana. I wonder if that's a route that the White Sox will take in the second, third, fourth rounds, potentially as some prep pitchers maybe on the board around that time. Um, this is, this has just been wonderful guys. I, this was so much fun. I love doing this type of thing, especially when like-minded individuals are a part of the conversation. I'm just fans of the Chicago White Sox and the organization. It's, it's an important pick, quite frankly, I can't complain about going college up the middle talent. Again, I want to see it play out. I want to see him develop. And I, I'm curious if, uh, James, do you think he'll get sent to Kannapolis at some point this year? Yeah, I think probably right away. My guess is yeah. he goes to Arizona for like, you know, three, four games, whatever. And then, yeah, then I think he's probably in Kannapolis immediately. So you can There's follow. No right, right. Absolutely. And, and his you, age. Can, you can follow everything. Uh, White Sox farm system, SoxMachine.com, FutureSox.com. We got you covered. We have another talented player joining the organization. Uh, just ask the right person and they'll tell you that this player is super talented. Uh, I'm Look, that's fine. Give me a shortstop. I'm ready to go. And we're, we're also ready to go. James, thanks for all your hard work. This has been su uh, such a unique draft cycle because we talked about it earlier in the episode. Mike Shirley described the mill pack of the draft to be very condensed and very similar in terms of uh, skill upside and all that Kyle Teal went a pick above the Chicago White Sox that would have been uh, in our opinion a dream scenario they did uh, end up going a college catcher there but it is college shortstop out of Ole Miss and I just want to give a, a special shout out to James because worked feverishly putting together draft profiles um, Josh Nelson was a a part of our show is getting ready for the draft and allowing us to do this show. Um, the, the live stream, he got four picks, right? Um, not counting the ones that I didn't count so far leading into the White Sox pick at 15. So shout out to Josh there, but James, thanks for all your hard work. Uh, you, you really did outdo yourself and that's saying something because you've been a part of this thing for the last four plus years covering the draft. Yeah. Well, thanks. I mean, there's more, more work to do now because we get 19 more picks in the next three days. So. 
Elijah, thanks for being a part of this as well. You're a great teammate and uh, really appreciate, yeah, appreciate you guys. really appreciate your enthusiasm being a part of future science. Yeah. I, uh, I hope everybody listening doesn't think I'm totally negative about everything uh, after today, but it's uh, it's exciting. It's exciting. No matter what the draft is a good time and there's going to be good things ahead for watching, uh, watching this pick Gonzalez and then the rest of the 19 picks, you know, grow. And we'll, we'll obviously be talking about him at future sucks. That's Elijah Evans. You can follow him at Elijah EV8 on Twitter. James Fox alongside us, as always, at James Fox 917 on Twitter. I'm at Rankin906. Also, Future Socks at Future Socks. And of course, follow Josh Nelson and Jim Margulis as well, uh, the Socks Machine team that allowed us to do the, uh, what we're doing right now. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. This was a lot of fun. We're closing in on two hours. We're going to enjoy the rest of the draft offline. And then James is going to be on the call for Mike Shirley's press conference following day one. We're going to have a recap for you on the Future Socks website. We have all we'll have all the picks for you, a breakdown, opinion pieces, as well as the podcast. We do podcasts every Tuesday. We also do podcasts every Saturday. So make sure that you're subscribed. One final thing for those still listening before we sign off, August 26th, mark it on your calendar. We want to see you at Guaranteed Rate Field. Purchase tickets to support future socks. It's a hundred dollars. You get the all you can eat section in the patio. We're gonna hang out, eat, drink talk and then go to right field to watch the game it's the white Sox versus the a's and the special kicker is you get a dylan c's bobblehead um, because you'll be there early you'll you'll be able to get the uh, patio section you'll be lined up 90 minutes before first pitch so if you want to be a part of that please go to future socks at future socks on twitter thank you everybody for tuning in uh on on the live stream on twitter and at uh on, on youtube i'm going to pull one of these up here to signal that we're done so Guys, thanks so much for watching. Appreciate everybody. For James Fox and Elijah Evans, my name is Mike Rankin. Let's go White Sox.